Thanks for stopping by the Badass Records podcast. Make sure to follow on YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. New episodes come out Thursdays. We're talking people, music, and badass records. Episode 107, Badass Records Podcast. Um, hanging with, please correct me if I'm wrong, Leiden yeah. Galicia? Laidan. Laidan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, but Galicia? Galicia is Okay, because right. mm-hmm. I look at that word. Yeah. And I think Thomas de Andalucía, the, really? you know, the, yeah. the Castilian yeah, yeah. part of uh-huh. Spain yeah. where they, all the yeah. S's are. But, but Laidan. Yeah. Where, uh-huh. where does that come from? So Laidan itself is a made-up name. Okay. So my parents made it up uh, when I was born. They decided that they wanted to kind of pay homage to my family members. So they took the first two letters of past family members that were deceased already and kind of made mine. So the L-A is for Lalo. Okay. D is for Edith. And A-N is for Antonio. So bringing that together was Laidan. What's the middle piece? Uh, Edith. Edith. Okay. E- E-D. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Edith. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, so it was um, just their names, the first two letters, and they just kind of combined it and played with it. And my parents just kind of just... I don't and, know and Lalo is a nickname for Gerardo, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've known, known a Lalo or two in my day. Yeah. I typically wind up being good people. That's so, cool, man. That's, uh, that's awesome. Um, but uh, Dink. Yes. Correct. Yes, correct. D-I-N-K-C. Yep. Uh, de- death is not... No, what what is it? Death is not knowing certainty. Death is not knowing certainty. Yeah. Okay, so and another acronym. And it. where does that come from? Um, that one was kind of. It started as a nickname okay. at first, just like my brother. My I have a I have older siblings, so it's my sister, my brother, and my other brother. So the one I'm closest to in age. Um, we were super into wrestling. So growing nice. up, we would obviously like back when it was WWF yeah. and all that, the good days. Yeah. Um. There was Jimmy a wrestling Superfly, film. Snooka, oh, yeah, straight up, man. Hulk Hogan, everybody, man. It was just nonstop. And we would always watch it, man. It was just something that we would always bond over, you know? So yep. there was this wrestling clown named Doink. Really? Yeah. There was For, this wrestling clown. Yep. Okay. Uh-huh. He was this wrestling clown named Doink. And he came out one time with multiple versions of himself, kind of like copycats of himself. And they were like, you can't do that. That's against the rules. You can't. He's <laughs> like, all right, whatever. So then on the next match, he comes out. We're the WWF, and we always follow the rules. Right, exactly. (laughs) So it was just a funny, like, play and, like, a whole story, backstory of him. But they basically told him, like, you can't be doing that. Like, that's that's illegal. You can't be cheating that way. He's like, whatever. So the next thing he comes out with, he's like, well, I'm not going to bring out any more doinks. And then he introduces Dink, like a miniature version of himself. Get and out of here. I swear, and he comes out, and it's just this little guy that's dressed exactly like him, and wow. he's just comes out, and he's like, "Well, this you didn't say I couldn't do this." So right? then he can, becomes kind of like his little like sidekick, like mascot guy. That's hilarious. And it's so like, just like kind of out of this world, but like for us, like being Mexican, um, I was raised on lucha libre, yeah, out in Mexico, yeah. So when I had an uncle growing up who um, worked for Lucha Libre, so I would always go to the wrestling matches with him when I was out there. So I'd see all the back-end production. I'd get to meet all the wrestlers backstage and just hang out and everything. So out in Mexico, it's very common and traditional that 
the wrestlers have a miniature sidekick of them that wear the same mask, the same costume, the same outfit, everything. So it was very familiar for me to see that concept. And he was, I believe, the first one to bring it to the United States was Doink the Clown and Mimic, a, like a but little he miniature version. he wasn't Hispanic. No, he wasn't. Okay, just a regular no. old yeah. dude. Yeah. Nice. But it was kind of interesting. So that's kind of like where it kind of stemmed from, where my older brother just called me Dink because I was just the little version of him. I was just always copying him. You know, I wanted to be like him. And it just kind of evolved from there. I just stuck and then i started to use it as my tagging name and then i added the c at the end for kc yeah and then as the brand grew and evolved and me as an artist i just decided i wanted that to be the name of the brand but then it be significant in a way kind of how my name comes from you know past uh, family members very cool i wanted it to be very cool meaningful and an acronym for death is not knowing certainty which plays into my brand as an entirety so what is the certainty that is not known just like when, when where dead. why how but it's the only certain we have so uncertainty we have in life is death that's a bit of an oxymoron yes exactly so very much the, so i forget who unless said, you try to, said that yeah yeah the only thing only two certainties in life are death yes. and taxes yes um that's funny so uh dink com. so it's d-i-n-k-c studios mm -hmm. all one word yep dot com and then uh dink d-i-n-k-c mm-hmm uh on instagram what, what's the, yeah is yeah the so handle? i have both i have both so it's me dink as just my personal entity as the artist um so i have that on dot com and on instagram just dink and then dink studios is the actual physical brick and mortar that i opened this past year yeah july dink right studios. yeah man but uh i saw something that said uh the thing has been alive and breathing since 2012 Yes, the brand itself and me as an artist and what I do, all the services I offer as far as, you know, everything that I've been doing happened and started in 2012 for sure. Okay. Uh, 600 Ohio Ave in KCK, Strawberry mm -hmm. Hill, uh, multi-use creative space gallery and storefront. Yeah. Um, and um, let's see, uh, live paint with Dink on February 18th and March 2nd. I don't know if this will be out by the 18th, but hopefully. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> uh, and then um, uh, DIY vinyl. Oh, yeah. Was that My yesterday? Daughter. Yeah, so okay. that was the last one I had for January was yesterday, and I had one, I believe, the week prior to that on the 19th or so. Okay. So those were just two workshops that I just wanted to do in January just to kind of give I, them a I go and see. I want to attend one of those yeah. for sure. Tell, tell me what uh, the inspiration behind doing that and what it, the process itself actually looks like. Yeah. So I've always been a fan of just clothing in general, like um, just designs on, on shirts, like kind of what you have going on over here. I, I absolutely love just the process of designing something, drawing something, digitizing, and then going on to garments. I just, that's always, always kind of fascinated me as far as like streetwear clothing and just clothing brands in general. Okay. So growing up, I wasn't really that big into like brands and stuff like that. Like I didn't grow up with the nicest shirts of this and that name brand shit. Like that just wasn't <laughs> it for our household, <laughs> yeah. you know? So we one of my goals. Six uh -huh. total, right? So four yeah. kids, mom and dad. Is that yeah. uh -huh. the right number? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in total, like we were just like, hand-me-downs like whatever we could get you know this and that so one of my biggest dreams growing up was always to just have my own clothing line and just like whatever I could draw or design like I just want to throw it on a shirt like as easy and as quick as I possibly could so it wasn't until about like 2017 or 2018 or so when I was living in Denver at the time that oh, I yeah. that I got my actual 
like vinyl cutter and heat press. I got like this package offline. Like it was like a really? a, a Black Friday deal and they were like, here's your starter kit, whatever. And I was like, let's do it. Like, let's go ahead and buy this and just kind of see what's up. So I taught myself how to do vinyl plotting um, and then heat press it. And then I just started to make some random tests and stuff and it just started vinyl, to evolve. Vinyl plotting means... So it's basically like uh, vinyl is the type of material that goes on the shirts. So like what I'm wearing right now, this white part, this isn't printed. It's called vinyl. So it's oh. basically kind of like a sticker. If you imagine a roll, like kind of like a roll of paper, yep. uh, but it's sticker paper and it runs through a machine. Your machine plugs into your laptop and I send a design. I send this lettering through the machine to it and it just cuts it with an exacto. It's mm. like a machine that just cuts it. I take it out and then I cut that piece of paper out and I have my section. And then I have to go in and I have to what's called weeding, but you peel off the vinyl that you don't want to print and it exposes the, the actual design that was cut. And you take that and you put it under a huge heat press, like iron machine, the clothing, the, the, the design, and you press it and it just goes directly onto those clothes. You peel it off and it's set. Wow. Yeah, okay. it's a very straightforward, easy, like point A to B like process. And that's how I started my clothing line. And that's what I offer online. And when I do pop-ups and stuff like that, it's all handmade and like self-made on my own designs like it's mine. So I wanted to showcase that and share that with the community by offering that in my studio. Because okay. I have the machines there. And it's just a matter of people coming in wanting to learn the process. And I have it in a way where it's kind of streamlined so that you guys can figure it out. Sure. Do it. See the creative process. And then you leave with your own garment. Okay, so so vinyl refers to the material. It doesn't yes. have anything to do with the record. No, not okay. necessarily. Okay. No, it's just that's what it's called is vinyl. Sure, yeah. like uh, uh, like like restaurant booth kind of. So it it sort of, but it literally just feels like kind of like a sticker that just sits on top okay. of your clothing. Okay. But it kind of blends with the clothes. It's like made to be heat pressed for clothing, sure. you know. Or you see like vinyl decals with stickers, yes. you know, stuff like that. Yes. It's kind of the same thing. It's just this one goes on clothing. Now, are there special uh, washing instructions? Does it hold up? It, it They hold really well, okay. like surprisingly. And I do like a double press on it to make sure it's like set. But usually with our clients with like really intricate designs, I say like flip them inside out yeah. so it's not rubbing against the other clothes yeah. and then just kind of hang dry if is you want that the shirt. What, is that what causes if rubbing against other other clothes sometimes like if it's just in uh, the washer just constantly and yeah. it gets stuck and it's just hitting that like i don't know i would feel like that would kind of mess sure. stuff up so sure. i just always say just be safe and you know flip your shirts yeah yeah, yeah. um and then uh zo strom is that what's that let's see s-t-r-o-h-m from the pitch oh oh zoe yeah, yeah zoe yeah. zoe yeah, yeah, strom yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. Uh, did it did a piece on you in the pitch? Mm -hmm. I just you know, uh, shouts out to her, but yeah. but also, I feel like I don't know here in the last six twelve months, uh -huh. like the pitch is just freaking incredible. Yeah, yeah. in terms of uh, you know, cool content on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, and always saying uh, are we never have a paywall? If mm -hmm. you like this post, yeah, check out the rest of the stuff. And I feel like the folks that are putting the verbiage and the photos together for the posts mm -hmm. are everybody's like high class yeah. Yeah. Or, or professional. Yeah. It just looks real nice. Yeah. And, um, you know, growing up here, uh, I think it was Thursdays when the pitch mm -hmm. used to come mm -hmm. out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that was like. That was a minute ago. Yeah. 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 Like 90s, yeah. 80s. And that was, um, you know, find out what shows are happening. Yes. Yeah. Uh, a, another excuse uh -huh. to just go to a music store. Yeah. Um, 
but I came across uh, her piece on you, and and uh, I think that's how our our correspondence yeah. started. Mm-hmm. Um, so really appreciate you being here. Yeah, um, sure. And let's see here. Um, so born in Mexico, born here, actually, born here, in Kansas City, in Kansas yeah, City. But I basically went to Mexico before I was one. Like, okay, I would always spend the summers out there, all three months out there, because my siblings obviously would get out of school. So yeah. we would just drive down there and where just be there in Mexico City. Okay, yeah, right. Yeah, nice. Def, back Very when nice. it was, yeah, man. Um, and are there you still have family there? Oh yeah, tons of family there. So we try to go visit. Um, obviously, as I've gotten older, it's been a little bit more difficult and stuff like that. But like I said, growing up while I was still in school, especially high school, every summer we would go out there. Just okay, almost every summer and just spend those three months. And I man, it was great. So that's why I say like I was born here, but I was raised in both. Okay, yeah. Um, and then, uh, there was a, did I see six years in New York? Um, so it was seven years total that I was gone from Kansas city. Okay. So it was like three and a half in New York and three and a half in Denver. Okay. So well, roughly, at, yeah. At what took you to New York? Honestly, man, it was just kind of out of a whim. Like really? it was there, there was a few people that I knew that would go out there and visit and talk to me about it and everything. And I would always see it in like movies and magazines, like graffiti magazines and this and that. Cause that's like the birthplace of graffiti. It's like, that's where it started. And that's pretty tight. So I've always just kind of had like this weird idea that I would see the cinematic idea of New York. And I always loved it. So I just kind of wanted to go out there and visit just for a little bit and just kind of see what's up. And I was, I was, it was right after I graduated art school. So I was like, I kind of uh, want to explore. Art Institute? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, KCI. And yep. uh, high school was? Uh, I went to Shawnee Mission East. Hey, Lancers we will always be. Oh, yeah. Nice. Sure. 2009, though. I was yeah. done a little bit before. Yeah, you. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, East, uh, directly to the Art Institute? Yep, yep. Four years? Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. and then straight to New York. And then straight to New York. With... Graduated 2013, and then 2014, I head out. What did you take with you? I just, my bags, and just kind of went out there and just kind of saw Did you have, you have a place lined up before you went? Or? No, at the time, um, I was dating a girl, um, and we went to art school together. Okay. So then she kind of wanted to do the fashion thing, and she went out there. So then I was like, all right, cool. Like, I'll give it a try. I'll go visit. And I really liked it. Like, I really fell in love with the city. I went to visit for, like, about a week or so. And then she I ended was already up staying. There. Yeah, she was okay. already there doing her thing. So then I just went to visit, and I really loved it. Like, it was super dope, and I thought it was something that I definitely needed to explore a little bit more. And a huge culture shock. Like, coming from here, going to straight there, like, it was insane. And yeah. I, I just, I don't know. The city moves with such a different pace, and I like I just felt like a different heartbeat out there. And I was like, yeah. I want to explore this. I want to see what's up. And uh, earning a living and paying bills was doable. Was, and, yeah. Okay. It was crazy. It was Did you hard. have a little bit of fun spending yeah, money I, left I, over? I, I took a little bit of my savings out there, and that was it. And that shit went by quick. It was just like <laughs> in and out. So I immediately definitely like had to start getting out and about and start offering my services and start being part of the art community, going to shows, networking, and just starting to see what was out there. And there was so much. Like, you, I don't think anybody in, in the world can go and see all of New York, ever. Nah. It's just insane. And every day I would just go out and kind of get lost and discover new shit. And just be like, I'm going to go here, I'm going to go here, I'm going to go here. and just. Did you always feel safe? Oh, no. Not at all. No. 
No, especially at the beginning. I especially that at honesty. the beginning. I would just like go on the same subway. I would go to the same one, come back, go on this one and come back. Like I was just very like weary about it. Any ever anybody ever fuck with no, you? No, not okay, necessarily. Cool. There was this Good one job, one time. Yeah, this one one time this bum like tried to jump me and everything. We got into it. Luckily we got away. We were both fine, whatever. But outside of that, like it was cool. For those three and a half years, for just one incident, like I feel like I did pretty okay. good. Okay, you know. So, so three and a half, and then straight to Denver. Yeah. So, like then in 2017, I then moved to Denver because I had a lot of homies out there as well, and um, I really liked. Yeah, exactly that too. So I always loved when I would go visit. A lot of my friends had like their weddings out there and stuff, so okay. I would go and visit yeah. and everything. And um, I really enjoyed the art scene. It was it kind of reminded me a little bit more of KC because sure. they would do first Fridays and they had like art districts and stuff like that. So that kind of felt a little more familiar to me. And at the time, like with all the cannabis money that they were doing, like shit was blowing up. It was insane. And there was so much money to be thrown around and like great events popping up. A lot of like uh, city grants were being thrown around for art and everything. So I saw like a huge opportunity out there to really move in there and start to like cultivate the be part of the new art scene that's like starting to boom. And I feel like I got in there at like a really, really good okay. time. And I just kind of moved there, let's say in March. And by April, I did my first show. Like it was like that. What? Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. uh, did you have a place lined up ahead of time for that move? Yeah, okay. yeah, that was, yeah, I was still with the same girl at okay. the time. So then we kind of just moved back over there because she was originally from Colorado. Okay. So then she had family over there and we were able to just move over pretty seamlessly. And then from there, um, I just kind of just did my thing in Denver for those three and a half years, man. And I, I loved it. It was super cool. And then back to KC. Yep, back because... to KC in the end of 2020, okay. I believe that was. Yeah, at the end of 2020 in December. So I am I just hit my three-year mark being back Okay. in KC. You got a little baby, right? Yeah. How old? Yeah, she's one. One? Yeah. First time? Yes. Okay. Yes, yeah, my first little girl. And it's 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 amazing. Yeah. I, I love it, man. Yeah. It's cool. Uh, my little girl just turned 13. Yeah. And so it's just, I mean, it Dang. doesn't feel like that long yes, ago that yeah. we were changing her diaper and, you know, That's crazy. doing the, you know, midnight, middle of the night feedings yeah. and so on, watching her take her first step. Right, and right. Now all of a sudden she's got a phone and likes to go to Starbucks and I'm like, <laughs> insane. Happened? Yeah. Mine is like walking and barely like talking and I'm just like. And what's her name? Already? Her name is Sumaya. Sumaya. Mm -hmm. Okay. Where's that come from? Uh, so it's kind of based, uh, like origin is kind of like Middle Eastern. Okay. Um, but um, it means like um, a garden full of roses. Oh, cool. So in my, now, now my wife, it's a new wife, um, her and my family, are both of our grandmas had um, flower like gardens like that we remember always seeing growing up. Uh, my grandma sold uh, roses at the market in Mexico as to make a living. Sure. And then her grandma always had a beautiful garden that she remembers growing up. So we always loved just that. It just kind of brought back memories of that. Yeah. So when we heard the name and saw the meaning, we thought that it was very beautiful and kind of like paid homage to them. Sure. But also, it's the name of a very famous uh, Mexican museum in oh, Mexico really? City. Okay. Yeah. So it's called the Sumaya Museum. But now they call it, they reference it sometimes the Slim Museum. But it's uh, Carlos Slim in, in Mexico City. He's like a huge philanthropist, like one of the richest mans out there. 
but he literally created this museum to put some of their personal collection because his wife had so much artwork and her name was Sumaya. Oh, wow. So they he built her a museum to just store kind of their stuff. And now it's one of the biggest, most popular museums in Mexico City. Oh, cool. And we both are creatives, artists, and we love art. So then that's one of our favorite museums out there. We're both Mexican. We both go out there all the time. Where's she it from? it just all kind of made sense. Uh, she's Her family's from Guadalajara. Okay. And then my family's from Mexico City. Right. My mom originally was born in Guadalajara. But as a baby, moved over to Mexico okay. City, and then that's where she grew up. Okay, um, man, that's cool stuff. So I gotta believe, uh, with that much forethought into the name that you guys found out yeah. that it was gonna be a girl. Yes, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, and it was it was crazy because at first, like, we were both pretty sure that it was gonna be a boy. She even convinced me. She was like, "It's a boy for sure." Like, I, I'm very intuitive. I have this and that. <laughs> I hundred percent know. They did all these tests and everything. Yeah. Like, you know, the old wives' tales. Oh yeah. So. She convinced me that it was a boy. It's the way I'm carrying hyped. it. Yes, I just exactly. And then, like, you read one thing and it's saying, like, yes, it's a girl over here. And then you read this thing and it's like, no, it's definitely a boy. So it's just like a 50-50 coin flip at right. this point. So, right. But she convinced me that it was a boy. And then they randomly told her because she went and got checked. And she just surprised me. And it just kind of, like, switched my whole mentality, you know. But, man, I, I she's like a daddy's girl. And it's absolutely amazing. Like, she is beyond anything and everything that I could possibly compare and um, man, I love her so much. That's awesome. Yeah. So, will you have more? Do you think? Uh, we want to have at least one more. We're really trying for a boy, so we okay. can just have a boy or girl. Just call it even. And if we have another girl, then we're that's it. We're just having two girls, and that's okay. it. Because I can't imagine having okay. three girls. And she says it all the time. She's like, that would be way too much. Yeah. Uh, I used to have this. Uh, let's see, where were they from? I can't remember where they were from, but uh, a whole crew of of. Uh, guys cooking for me at yeah. this place in Westport and it was like I mean a huge percentage of the staff all yeah. from the same town really? in Mexico wow. and it's like they didn't all come at the same time yeah, but yeah. it's like uh you know hey if, if you need a couple more I can yeah. get a couple more up here really? kind of yeah That's um cool. and so one day, and you know so there's some cousins and some brothers and one day they were a couple of them were uh ta talking about how they just keep having girls yeah and, yeah or keep keep having boys i think they had a bunch of boys yeah. and uh one of the nephews said uh uh pero tío si quieres tener una niña tienes que hacer posiciones yeah. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? that's hilarious man <laughs> it, they, they really, yes <laughs> they really think like that when that's a funny story because when we went to mexico we went um to visit her family in guadalajara so we went out there, and then in Guadalajara, the little town outside of there called Tequila is where they make actual tequila. Okay. That's the only place in the world that they can make tequila, and it can be called tequila. If it's not what? from there, it can't be called. Yeah. Really? It's like legally, yeah, like, yes, it's 100% huh. true. Yeah. So anywhere else that they make stuff out of agave, and they it's sort of tequila, uh -huh. they have to call it agave spirits. Oh. It can't okay. legally be called tequila unless it's produced and shipped and made right there. So that little town is historic It's because it's the birthplace of tequila. So we went to visit there, and we did a tour and everything. And then the guy doing the tour, it was kind of sort of getting dark, and we could see the moon in the distance. And it was like the very end, like crescent moon, like the very tiny sliver. And he's like, you guys know if you guys have sex tonight with this moon, you're going to have a girl. And he just threw that out there, and it was like, whatever. So then we just go about our day, and then out of nowhere, we think back to that time, and we're like, damn, what if he was right? 
And that's why we have a girl. <laughs> I'm like, holy shit. Like, we didn't even <laughs> think of trip, that. But, man. like, wow. we hear all these sort of different stories, like, growing up, you know, of, like, do this or do that. And I don't know. It's just a coin flip, honestly. So, Mexico City, uh, constantly going back, visiting. I mean, uh, the overall feeling of safety mm-hmm. in Mexico uh, is very tough to put a finger on yeah. uh, pulse wise for me because uh, I meet plenty of folks that are like, I never, and then plenty of folks that are like, and I, th- I feel like they typically say rural parts mm-hmm. where there's not a whole heck of a lot of tra- yeah. that there's like craziness and yeah. people, folks disappear and yeah. blah, blah, blah. But then you also hear, you know, run of the mill uh, corruption. And yeah. uh, if you get pulled over, the cops right. might, sw- I mean, have you ever, had an experience where you're like i really hate that that is the way things are or has it just always been amazing or i mean it it really just depends you know like obviously going out there my entire life like when you're little you're kind of just like oblivious or you're just having a great time you know but obviously my parents were always like go with your cousins like hold their hand like go here stay away from these areas so they kind of instilled that early on you know as we were growing up um but i remember just I don't know, it is somewhat very corrupt in a way, like, cops are just kind of always out to get you just to, like, get a little quick buck out of you. Mm. And that's kind of annoying because when you sometimes really do need them, like, they don't show up. Right. It's kind of like, all right, like, it's very annoying. Like, we got pulled over one night. I remember just one instance in Mexico City. I was with my cousins in the car just driving to go get food or something. And they just saw, like, four guys in the car just driving and they just pulled us over just to pull us over just to kind of see what was going on and they literally were like making a big fuss that like they were feeling like checking us and they thought that my chapstick was something and i was like it's literally chapstick dude and i pulled i was like it's chapstick it's chapstick like i don't know what else to tell you but they could tell that we were american like i'm pretty light-skinned for being mexican so my cousins were all darker in mexico and then me and my other cousin were light-skinned so they were like these guys are and they checked our id so they're like oh they're definitely american so they're really trying to like mess with us a little bit more as if we didn't know but my cousins are like we already know the deal like stop messing with us and if you want to arrest us you can but then you can't really do anything about that right like we don't have anything on us so you're just gonna have to let us go regardless or you're just messing with us trying to get a quick dollar out of us. So then it was just kind of like back and forth. And it was just very annoying, like a very unfortunate situation. But outside of that, we've never really gotten in trouble or gotten really in depth with the really, really bad side of like the stuff that happens out there, you know? So, you know, it just kind of, you kind of just pick and choose your battles when it comes to that sort of stuff. Uh, Part of your conversation with, uh, was it John Little? Is that the, Mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. With John Little of the uh, I-70 podcast uh talked about supporting Mm -hmm. family and Mm -hmm. uh i what i took that to mean is i mean every you know that same group anytime i've ever been in a kitchen or a restaurant where there's uh mexican dudes uh it feels like 99.9 percent of them are literally sending like half of their paycheck every week back yeah and you know um conceptually i love that because you think yeah uh, this person cares enough about the people that brought him into the world and and you know you want to help them have a nice comfortable living in their old age but then you also you know hear stories maybe not so much Mm -hmm. anymore but i used to hear stories of like you know um 
you could you work in Mexico, work all week long, and and like really don't even earn enough to buy yeah. beef for your family. Yeah, is that bullshit or is there some no, truth to that? I mean, yeah, there is some truth to that. Like it, it is very much so. Like and also, it's just like the the peso is way less than than the dollar. So then that's why people come here because they can work almost essentially the same amount but be making way more. Yeah. Um. So that in and of itself is kind of like. Well, shit. Well, I might as well just go over there and just be working like that because in Mexico, like the work ethic out there is just insane. Like everybody's just hustling and working every every single day, like day and night, just trying to make ends meet. Um, and it's just it's very difficult, like because, like you said, like as much as you try to get ahead, like the system just kind of like keeps them down and like just keeps them at bay. And it's so corrupt and so just like money hungry. And if you do stray from anything, that's very like whoever the political party is at the time if you try to go against them and everything like i've seen situations where they like shut whole neighborhoods down like turn off their whole water because they're with the other party that the current Damn. president is not fucking with so it's i've seen like like protests i've seen them shut the highway down just to be like we need water like this is absolutely insane and i've seen like the huge extremes like going out there where people are so desperate for just everyday like living situation yeah. and necessities that they're just like tired of it and it's so like crazy to see that because here like obviously i've seen my share of stuff here especially with all the protests and everything that happened when things pop off but over there it seems to be kind of like a weekly monthly type of deal and the news doesn't always cover all of it you know what i mean it's just whatever they want to kind of show so it's kind of it's crazy to kind of see the back end of all that stuff because I love going out there. I love seeing my family. I love being part of, you know, my culture, my roots and everything. But it also hurts to see them going through life like this as well. You know, it's very difficult. So the people that do come out here and want that better life and are able to make more and somewhat send them money so that they can at least have, you know, a decent meal tonight. You know, my hat's off to them. That's just so hard to do. Um, What is culture mean to you? I mean, I think you talked about it Mm -hmm. on that podcast as well. And and maybe I've seen... Uh, a mention of it uh, somewhere on your your digital presence, mm-hmm. but if you could just yeah. um, talk to me about culture. Well, I mean, me personally, my culture is kind of it's everything to me. It it is what kind of made me. I feel like I wouldn't be myself without it. Like the Mexican culture itself was very much so instilled in me at a very young age, and I think it started just with giving like my name. Like it came Absolutely. from my, my my ancestors that were Mexican that lived in Mexico and to hear their stories and what they kind of went through and everything. And it feels like an honor for me to kind of like, you know, carry their name now with with what I do. Um and I just absolutely loved going out there. It always felt, and I say this a lot, it always felt like that little missing piece of mm, my puzzle. Cool, yeah. Um, and when I would go out there, and as I started to get older, like, I started to realize that, like, this is what was making me whole and it was what I was missing in the U.S. What age? Um, I would say, like, maybe, I don't know, when do you start school? Like, five, six yeah. years? Yeah, so, like, even, like, in elementary, like, I would see the differences of when I would go to Mexico and come back and I would just feel like like this is where I belong and this is what it was and I was like that missing little thing that I wouldn't get anywhere here cool you know but I, but I we would go to like um 
the Mexican like fiestas and like festivals and stuff that they would have sure. here in Kansas City. It was a huge oh, part okay. of the culture, you know. So we would go to that and it was reminiscent of those times that I would have in Mexico, you know. So it would always remind me of the those experiences and Do they I still happen here? It. Yeah, yeah. They have the fiesta hispana that they have down in Barney Alice Plaza. Okay. Yeah, so they cool have stuff. them around. Yeah, it's like packed what? with like vendors, food, music, performances. When? Um, I think it, uh, I, I might be wrong, but I think it's around the time of in September, like around that time of like the Mexican actual Heritage Month Mexican and stuff like that. Yeah. Independence Day. Yeah, so I believe it's around that time, if I'm not mistaken. But um, we would always grow up just going to that. It was just another way for us to go get a quick taste of Mexico if we weren't there. Sure. You know? And I absolutely loved that. It was just. A great experience and like i said like it was just reminiscent of the things i would see when i would go to mexico sure. so it played into my brand in entirely yeah. like like there was no way that like i genuinely don't think that dink himself as a character as a persona as an artist would exist without my mexican background okay it would be completely different and i honestly like can't even imagine what that would look like I feel like I wouldn't even be an artist without that that and sort of so culture. So if if you're starting to feel this uh, completion, this missing piece to my puzzle around six ish, at what age are you like feeling that, like you're an artist? Um, I mean, since I can remember, I've always been drawing, and my parents okay. always told me that they're like, you were always just kind of pen and paper, whatever you had, you were just sketching, drawing, coloring, whatever it was, it didn't matter, and so. Going into school, I always loved art class. I would always love any art project and everything. I would always just get engulfed in it and loved every type of process. Even when I was young, I would try out a bunch of different things and just kind of see what I liked. And like some things I wouldn't really mess with, like clay work, sculpture, pottery sure. stuff. Like it wasn't really, I would do it because it was part of the class, but it wasn't something I gravitated towards. It was always just pencil, pen and paper markers. Like I was just always kind of just doing that. And it just kind of started to like evolve as that I got as that I got older, you know, I started to just hang out with with my older siblings and my cousins and stuff and I mentioned this before but they always had like graffiti magazines and lowrider magazines and like stuff around that was just dope, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was part of the culture as yeah. well and I absolutely just got engulfed in it and I was like always tracing those things and just started getting involved with that sort of style and I just it always captivated my eye, especially just driving around and seeing graffiti around. It was just public art, public free art around. And I was like, that's dope. That's like, how do they do that? And as I got older, I would start to study it and just be like mimicking the strokes and doing that. And they were started teaching me about the spray cans, the tips, the can pressures, the different types of markers, the black books, the sketchbook, the, everything about the whole graffiti culture. Like I started to learn about that because my brothers and my cousins and friends were all into it. So it was just around me the entire time. So I just got like completely immersed in it and cool. i loved it man Very it was cool. super cool um so I, maybe this won't be the case but yeah. i imagine uh as a as a pretty new uh girl dad that at some point um frozen and moana <laughs> yeah will be part of the mix Probably. Uh, and hopefully that includes Coco. Yeah, hundred percent. Are you a fan of this movie? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh my god. I think it was done great. I think what they did with it was oh nice. I didn't know that those were called sugar skulls yeah. until I, I saw your stuff. Oh really? I just have always been like it's, it's yeah. Dia de los Muertos. Yeah. I mean, uh -huh. but I mean, I cannot. I mean, I I'm an easy uh, crier. Yeah. But, um, but. I probably cry like five times every really? time I watch Coco. Yeah. It just it's, and I, I feel like it's authentic in it is. in the the storytelling and the history. I mean, just so well done. Yeah, and um, I don't know that I 
totally understand Dia yeah. de los Muertos. Okay. Um, but at least in, in that film, uh-huh. um, you you bring something that resembles your ancestors that have passed, mm-hmm. and then it, it beckons their spiritual presence. Uh-huh. Or am I, is that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. 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 You're not. You're not way off at all. Um, so Dia de los Muertos. I guess going back into your question about the culture, that yes. was something that was early instilled in us. Like we would always create our Dia de Muertos altar at home. My mom was so super into okay. it. Yes, okay. 100%. Yeah. That movie did so well in their research and going to places and actually finding out the background stuff that like, unless you're Mexican and did that, like you, you, we picked up on all those little tiny things that they actually researched. And that's why I loved it. Okay. It wasn't just like a surface level, like, let's just kind of throw this out there and see if <laughs> it sticks, Mexican you know? Hand. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so they did the research, and I, that's what I really loved about it because um, it was so relatable. Um, so since I was little, I very much so remember my parents always creating their ofrenda, the altar, yeah, like we see yeah. in the movie. So it is filled with pictures of our past loved ones, um, things that they left behind or things that they love. Like, let's say, like, my grandpa, he loved play dominoes, so we have his domino set. Cool. My grandma loved Coca-Cola, so that. My other grandma loved to sing, so we have a guitar. Like, different things like that. So we'll basically take a table or whatever we have, and we'll create different types of, like, um, levels to it because it's kind of like the ascension of, like, you know, the life after life type of deal. Oh. So it, it all has meaning to it. Okay. And you can place different types of items on here, like candles, um, to kind of showcase the light that the spirits can come and follow. Uh, we put the other muerto like bread that's only made around say, that is there time. Food that, yeah. yeah. So you can put out their favorite foods yeah. and we cook it and we just have it there. And there's certain days that you're supposed to put it out. Um, and then you just leave it there. Like they, they, they come and they like enjoy this altar and they feast. It's kind of like a little yeah. offering for yeah. them. So I remember growing up, we would always do this and it was always a time to just reminisce and, you know, pay homage to the family member that was gone and just remember everything that they taught us while they were here and um, just pay respect to them because without them, you know, we wouldn't be here. Now, when, you know, uh, I don't mean to liken it to uh, Christmas or, or, yeah. or Halloween, but, you know, uh, a lot of American families, I think, uh, have a box mm-hmm. or tub yeah. with Christmas decorations and yeah. they, they come out and they get put back away. Yeah. Does something similar happen? And if so, are the elders like, be careful yes. with that shit or, oh, I'll yeah. get, you know, yeah, um, it is. And we, we do. But when we unwrap it and when we create the altar, um, even that is a process. That is like a very sentimental process for us because we take things out and we're like, oh, grandma, love this. Or remember that one time when this and that and we just reminisce. Yeah. And that's part of it. You know, yeah. we're supposed to. We're not just taking stuff out and decorating and taking a picture and be like, hey, it's Christmas, you know, like <laughs> put it on. Instagram. Yes, exactly. It's almost like <laughs> all of it is just so significant and meaningful and I think that always inspired me because it always told a story. Yeah. It always had meaning. And so when I started to do my artwork, I was like, I want my stuff to like be meaningful as well. I want it to look dope. I want people to see it and be like, that's tight. But then once you sit back and like hear the meaning and find out where it comes from, um, I think that's what intrigues and keeps people in. Now, you know? uh, does the is there some uh, liberty when you're creating your ofrenda or is it? the exact same every year and this has to be just per or is it vary from household to household yeah it's household to household so there are if you can and you can look this up online if you're ever interested in like finding out more but there's different like levels to it and there's different types of uh items that are like somewhat like um very traditional that you put like 
like um, the pan is supposed to show like the bitter sweetness, sweetness of life, you know. And uh, you put the candles and you put the sempasuchi like marigold flowers and, oh, right, and different right. things like that, you Co- know. Col- they're colorful, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're supposed to just like mimic the the sun in a way. They're kind of like the sun hmm. flowers. Um, but um, each little item has sort of like meaning to the ofrenda. And then you personally can include your own sort of stuff, your own sort of flavor oh, and cool. touch to it. So I make one. I made one last year in my own studio. That's, that's where I was going. Yeah. So I you're, made one in my a, studio. You're a head of household. Yeah. Dad. Yeah. Spouse. All mm-hmm. this shit now. So all these things that were taught to me, I am now teaching it and like my wife the, her family didn't fully do the whole Dia de Muertos thing like she never got brought up doing that she knew about it and she knew the culture and the traditions and everything but it wasn't something that they necessarily celebrated or did in her household and when we met I was like all about it and I was like I want to start doing this and obviously now that we have a little girl we're definitely going to instill that in her because it's cool. super important to me to her and now we're including her past family members in the ofrenda sure. and being able to you know expand that way and just teach our little girl about them and the traditions and the culture so that she can grow up and be proud of that like yeah. that's a hundred percent like what our parents wanted us to do and we would go to school and Sometimes my friends would come over and they'd be like, what's going on at your house? You know, like, why do you have, well, you have not like three meals on that Yeah, table. exactly. Like, was not, anybody it. eating this? I'm like, don't touch that, dude. Like, that's <laughs> yeah, for my not grandpa. You. Yeah. <laughs> not you. Yeah. So it was super, like, weird and kind of funny that, like, it wasn't normal to do here. Sure. You know? Like, in Mexico, everyone kind of did it. And in, in Mexico, it even goes to, like, an even bigger extreme because they go to the actual, like, tombstones and the graves and, like, the cemeteries and they decorate and, like do go all out out there and they have the candles they have music they have food and they just hang out at the cemeteries and just like have their own little sort of ceremonies yeah um so like to summarize what dia de los muertos is yeah is so it's a holiday and tradition based um around the idea that our life is forever um Death is not the end, and it's a way for us to celebrate those past family members and friends that are no longer with us and honor them and remember the things that they love, the things that they taught us, the things they left behind, and just remember that without them, we wouldn't be here. And so we create an ofrenda that honors them in that way, and we just pay homage and respect to them during that time. And it's just a way for them to come back from you know the sure. afterlife and visit and just hang out with us for a little bit longer. And it happens when? Uh, so it's usually like I would say roughly it's like around a week of a, of oh, a whole thing. Okay. Yeah. So every it's not every day. Yeah. The, the main day is like November second. I thought it was right. Yeah. So near. it's right at the very beginning of November. But some people start putting things out like a week so every day within that week they mm. like put something else out and one day is like specific for like babies who pass another day is specific for adults another day is specific for this and that so there's different types and it again it just depends on your household and where what part of mexico you're from because right. that's where and how you're being brought up to celebrate it right but i would say roughly the length of it would be around a week but the main day is definitely like the second the second yeah okay very cool um, so where does Sugar Skull come? Where does that name come from? So that comes from the actual Dia de Muertos Sugar Skulls. They're actually made of sugar. It's like candy? Yeah. So it is, um, you're not supposed to eat them. Oh. But um, <laughs> if you can imagine, you know how things are made in molds yeah. and you like pour plaster yeah. into it and you yeah. make, rep- okay. So basically they have molds in Mexico 
that they bring out for this time and they create sugar skulls. So they make their own mixture and they put them in their own molds. And every family, every household has kind of like their own that's been sort of somewhat passed down. Or you can go to the Mercado and just buy your sure, own. Sure, sure. So it's just a very like intricate little tiny skull. Um, and they all look the same depending on who you're buying from. They all have the same mold. And then you let them dry, take them out. And then you basically decorate them. So you have a day where you can go and your family just decorates them. And you put the name of the deceased on the forehead. And then you decorate oh, it with like really? filigree and different stuff. And it's usually with like um, frosting, kind of like cupcake stuff. Sure. So you just, you're frosting this sugar skull, this skull made of sugar, literally. Frost it and you let that dry overnight. And then we usually like wrap them in like saran wrap to kind of keep them. Yeah. Um, but each family member has their own. And that that's and you just keep them year to year. Yeah, we oh. we I've kept mine forever. We just keep them, keep them. They never go away. They never like disintegrate. You're, you're not making new ones every year. Um, no, you can. Um, if there's like a new family member sure. that passed or whatever, you you can make new ones. And um, I have my my own molds at home, but oh, cool. that's how um, the idea of the sugar skull. Um, always stuck with me, and I always loved decorating them growing up. Yeah. I, it was just one thing that I always like was like I can't wait for Dia de Muertos because that's my favorite thing to do. You <laughs> nice. know, so that idea and concept of like creating a mold um, and creating a skull and then decorating it was the basis of my Dink character and how I wanted oh. to create a template of a character and then decorate him or put him in different scenarios and different characters and evolve and make my Dink universe in a sense of characters grow. But the basis of it was that same sort of sugar skull that okay. I would make. Very but cool. I was just illustrating it instead of actually making it in a mold. Um, I think in the pitch piece, uh, there was mention of Dink artwork, uh, streetcar stop and mm -hmm. Pina Power and Light, mm -hmm. uh, West Bottoms murals, mm -hmm. Uh, mean Mule Distillery, yeah. and then Parade of Hearts. I yeah. wondered if you could touch on each of those, yeah, if you don't course. mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so those are all pretty much really cool projects that I've been involved with since I moved back. Um, let's see. The Streetcar one was through an organization called Art in the Loop. Okay. And so they basically put a call out to artists, and you can submit designs for either the car, uh, streetcar stop or the streetcar itself. You know how oh. they, like, wrap them? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that shit um, ain't cheap. I was, no, not at all. <laughs> but they get city grants, yeah, and yeah. they're able to do really cool stuff like that. So I love that the city is, like, you know, putting forth effort to, like, work with artists and give them these types of opportunities because it gives us great exposure. You know, we get paid for the designs that we do, and people get to just see paid and be for involved. artwork? Yeah, right? I know. But it, I absolutely love that, the sort of aspect of it. And so that was a really great project that I was able to, you know, you know, truly honored and humbled that I was chosen to be one of those artists. And I want, I continue to work with them here and there. Nice. So hopefully maybe in the future we're trying to maybe get like a whole streetcar rap. Um, and maybe I'll do like a whole like the other Muertos theme for that. But that's maybe like a future project that I'm just kind of like hoping. If that happens, I, I promise you I'm going to send somehow I'm going to show up and photobomb yeah, something. Perfect. Sounds great. <laughs> So yeah, so that that was that little project, um, and I, 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 they're great organizations. Cool. So any artists out there looking to do that, uh, look up Art in the Loop, and you can see when they have their like sort of submission dates and cool. stuff like that. Um, they, I have a few mur murals down. I have one in the West Bottoms that I got to do for an event through Spray KC, and they're a local organization that work with a bunch of artists a variety of artists and they basically go to you know companies organizations events and they're like well we have this list of artists if you're trying to do different stuff like they just 
kind of hit you up and they're like, yo, well, here's Dink. He does this sort of stuff. If you want a mural done for this event, he can do it. And they kind of like pair you with the person or the organization wanting certain services. So they were a great organization that I was able to work with. And they did this event down there in like right under the bridge, the okay. 12th Street Bridge. Um, and they have like those big, like right under the bridge, they have like this huge pillars and on the pillars, they have like huge walls under there. So they were able to curate those walls and designate it to certain artists during certain events that they throw down there. So I was able to do that last year and it was, it was super fun. It was a really long wall and you all, the only requirement was that they wanted us to kind of pay tribute to West Bottoms in some way. Oh, so in in my actual mural, like it says West Bottoms, like the letters are kind of stacked. And then it's a symmetrical piece that starts in the middle and expands. And it's exactly the same, 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 same on both sides. And it's very symmetrical. Yeah. So that was a really fun piece. I like to kind of challenge myself a little bit when it comes to to murals. I like play with the wall a little bit to kind of just figure out my composition. And I just kind of just freestyle it. And so it's all I feel like it's in my lifetime or at least since i've been aware of the world uh, around me um graffiti has done a 180 like yeah. it was like uh, you better not yeah. like and yeah. there like there would be efforts to catch people and yeah. cover shit up mm-hmm. and now it's like we'll pay you if to do yeah. um and, and i went to um atlantic city a couple summers ago uh-huh. And I flew into Newark and trained yeah. down to Trenton and then to Philly and then over to Atlantic City. Yeah. And I think it was that first leg from Trenton to Newark. I mean, just like literally the whole train ride. Yeah. Just every bill. Yeah. I was like, this is f- yeah, like years yep. worth of. Yeah. Fo- and, and, and but like, is it? Yeah. Can you get in trouble for? Yeah, you can still get in trouble if, if you just go around tagging random stuff or bombing random stuff. Like it's still like obstruction of property like you're still damaging property in a sense so yeah people can report it or people can try to get you you know if cops see you around doing that shit you'll we will get in trouble if they catch you like it's just a thing a meme the other day uh there somebody was had been tagging a a space yeah and an old man was coming over and painting over it and then they uh painted a picture of him painting yes. over it. yeah 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 i've seen that and the, i love seeing that stuff because that's just the artist's mind just taking like any situation and kind of flipping it into yeah. something else yeah. you know it could have just been an easy like let me paint this and then it gets buffed it gets whited out and that's it but like we we have this playful side to us that we really love to like mess with people sometimes and just kind of let our yeah. creativity kind of have some fun so mean mule distillery yeah where's so, that so that's down in the in the crossroads area okay so right in the hub of the art district and Right behind Mean Mule, there's a huge alley. Um, if you know where Parlor is down there. Yep. So that whole little strip behind all those buildings is a big alley, and it's called Graffiti Alley. Oh. So if you take... This you know, is not the same alley that has Jim's Alley Bar. It is. Yeah. Jim's is very at the, okay, at the end. Okay, because there's like really there's a, impressive, yeah. like, oh, shit. Yes. You know? Yeah, yeah, I think right there at Jim's, he's that's the new bar that just opened at the very end of the alley right there, the corner. It's kind of like yeah. a little speakeasy. Uh, King G's. Yes, same, yeah, same exactly. Owner. So yeah. that, that whole alley going all the way up, oh. that's Graffiti Alley. So oh. it's always being hit with like random murals, tags. It's a free-for-all down there, basically. Okay. But, but some but of the businesses, like you, commission artists. Okay, yeah. okay. Now, um do folks ever find that the work that they have done, somebody comes along and oh yeah, uh, encroaches? Yeah. Or, oh, yeah. or, 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 or isn't there 
some kind of code where you should, hey, it's got to stop here because yeah. that's where this dude's thing begins. To an extent. And that's where the rules get a little bit blurred because there are rules to like graffiti. And when we, when I was growing up, like we were, there were teachers like, don't go over someone's stuff right. unless you're doing kind of something better than what is already there. If Ooh. you're just like, you have like somebody does like a really great piece and you just go up and you just tag it. That's a disrespect completely. Yeah. So then that in and of itself is like, a, don't do that. Unless you're trying to start beef with this person, like, you know, that's a disrespect. Like, you're just going to go and bomb their shit. You're just like, whatever. I don't care for you. I don't have no respect for you. Like, let's go. And then you start kind of going back and forth. So then they may be going and like tag some of your pieces and then it just goes back and forth. And that's what starts kind of like the graffiti beef type stuff, mm. you know. But down there, Graffiti Alley is, is a free-for-all. It's literally like people understand that like your piece can get covered at any point in time and it's not necessarily like a dissing thing some some of them do like i said some of them do have beef with each other and they'll go around and they'll just cross you out just because they don't like you but other people will come up and like make a piece and then let's say the next week somebody comes up and it's a great spot and they'll do another piece over it but somewhat of the underlying rules are that like if you're gonna go over someone's stuff like it has to be as equally dope or doper than what they did but that's totally subjective. It like, 100% is. But there's somewhat of a quality control where, like, you see something super cool. You're like, all right, cool. Like, I don't want to go over that. Like, or I respect this person. I know who they are. And it's kind of like, you know, a need to know basis. a lot to people being good people. Yes, exactly. Just, and I've had pieces down there that have been writing since, like, 2016 or so, even before then, that are just kind of just there. And nobody really touches them. Nice. Yeah. And maybe it's a respect thing. Maybe it's people know me. Maybe it's because I don't really go around and go over people's works like that. And you kind of can go down there and you can be like there's little corridors that are like framed nicely and you're like this one gets hit up almost every week it's just a constant thing mm. so anybody that puts anything up they just know that it could just disappear sure. tomorrow sure. so it's just an evolving thing and that's the kind of the appeal of it that's why it is graffiti alley because it's kind of just like it's always evolving always changing and people are just always about it i have a piece down there at mean mule because the alley's right here and then mean mule's back patio area is right here and it goes directly into their building they have part of their patio is like fenced and I did this whole section right here. And that's one of my biggest murals in KC. And it, so it's it protected in a sense? In a sense, Like you would yeah. have to go out of your way to fuck with it? Yeah, kind okay. of. And also like, I don't know, like just me personally saying it, like it's one of my like better pieces here. Oh, nice. So, and I, you can tell because you can look at a piece and study it and be like, was this just like a quick sketch fill and like a like a burner throw up piece just kind of really quick and just to get your name up or did they really take their time you know create the wall do cutbacks and like you see all the technique if you really know you'll see be able to look at walls and be like that's technique right there like mm. that's dope they took their time yeah. and like it's not just a quick little whatever so I really took my time on this wall. It's a really good wall that I'm very proud of, you know. And so I feel like people can kind of respect that and see that. And I think that's, you know, genuine. It's part of the art game. It's part of, you know, each other's crafts. We respect each sure. other in that sense. Sure. So Parade of Hearts. Yeah, Parade of Hearts was cool. Um, I think they've been doing it now. I think maybe this was their second or third time that they've kind of done it. But I was part of the first group of artists that they chose when the project uh, first launched. How many hearts? Oh man, I think so like fifty or something. Yeah, it was a big number. I mean, the first time they did it, it was like the biggest number, and then from there they started to curate it a little bit less and less. But the first time around, I think it was like a hundred oh, hearts. Was it? Yeah, it was wow. like their big, huge like come out, and so that project was really fun. Um, 
basically it's kind of reminiscent of like when everybody was painting those cows back in the day, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. and they would place them in different places. So it's kind of like that, but they're basically just huge hearts. And again, you would have to submit a design and, you know, get a, get approved, oh, get okay. chosen. So there was over like 500 submissions, I believe. And then only a hundred artists got like chosen. And you were one of them. Yes, I was one of them. And, so that was, that was really cool. And where is yours? So during that project, um, the hearts would, you would get chosen. They would give you the heart you would paint it. And then you would give it back before a certain timeline. And then they would then choose where they wanted to place the hearts all over everywhere around Kansas, okay. Kansas City, Missouri, yeah. everywhere. Um, and then those hearts lived in that space for, I don't know, a little bit less than a year, I believe. Okay. It was just X amount of time, um, just weather permitting. It was more so like that. So mine was placed down on Southwest Boulevard, okay. like right on the main strip where all the Mexican restaurants are sure. next to Royal Liquor. It was yeah. right here on the corner next to the oh, little cool. fountain. Yeah. Nice. So and it was now? down there. Um, then after that time period, they collect them all back out and then they auction them off. And that's how they collect the money that goes back into the community and research for, um, I, I believe, heart heavy? disease. Yes. So yeah, they're not, they're not solid, but it is like a huge heart and it's like a kind of like a vinyl plasticky material and then the base of it is like a pole and then it has like a base kind of like your microphone that just kind of like holds it up and then the base they install weights inside of it like sandbags and stuff to like hold it down because sure. it could be like yeah. moving around but yeah so it got auctioned off and i don't know where it is i don't oh, know who wow, bought it really yeah. mm -hmm. dang that yeah. seems like you could so, find out I, I mean sort of maybe if i hit them up i can see sure. but they just all got auctioned off and it just it was a cool it was a really cool project and event and uh are the the moving of it from to you and then back to do you have yeah. to be responsible for that or yeah i had to go pick it up so i had to go borrow one of my cousin's trucks and go there <laughs> scoop it up put it in, and then drive home with a huge heart in the back yeah <laughs> and then take it to my house and i painted it in my garage because it was like around like december january or so so it was cold as hell so i was in my garage just painting this thing finished it and then again pack it up and then take it to them okay. to American Royal which is where we had the initial like oh, yeah. opening for it it was cool every once in a while I'll be driving around in a residential area and somebody yeah. will have one in their front yard I'm really? like what the fuck yep. how'd uh -huh. you do that yeah you know? no yeah they, they definitely paid a good amount cool um, man that's good stuff so uh, the studio mm -hmm. um, what'd we say 600 Ohio yeah. uh, in KCK Basically. Strawberry Hill uh, seven months-ish yeah, and uh, I I know I mean I read the the description, yeah. but w w you describe it for me, please. Yeah, I mean it's honestly been like one of my biggest dreams and goals in life, I cool. would say. Um, and I can distinctly remember, like when I started the brand, um, I worked right out of uh, art school. I got a job uh, working at another uh, art studio. Um, and they did everything that I loved. Like they did like design, illustration, clothing, merchandise, um, toy stuff. And it was just everything that I loved. And I was like, this is super cool. And they had a cool studio. And I was like, man, I want to just one day have my own space and just offer everything. So that was kind of the overall goal, just on the back burner, just like one day, like far fetched, you know. But then I moved to New York and then I moved to Denver and I never was able to find a space like that. And also it was crazy expensive out there. Like it was nuts. Yeah. So. Instead, I just focused on expanding my own brand and doing my own thing, just being mobile with it and just kind of figuring that stuff out. But then as soon as I moved back for, to KC um, and getting involved again in the art scene in, in, in that way and networking and expanding that again, 
I just randomly came across um, – I knew the guys that were their previous tenants. Oh. It used to be a bookstore called Flagship. Okay. Um, and so they were right there in the Strawberry Hill area. So I would always walk by because my house is literally two oh, blocks yeah. from yeah, there. Yeah. So it was my neighborhood that I grew up in, and I was able to take over – well, my family house where I grew up in. Now that my wife and I had our baby, I took over our family house. Really? Yeah. So we moved in there in 1994. Um, and my handprint is still right there on our driveway. Like when oh, I was cool. little. Yeah. Very cool. So then I then took By over the that way, house. I was, I was already gone for really? East at that time. Oh, really? <laughs> Damn. Okay, cool. <laughs> Shit. So, yeah. So I was able to take over the house. And in being in that house now, raising my daughter... I was always in the neighborhood, so I just got word that the flagship guys were going to move a little bit, just like a few blocks down, because they outgrew the space. Um, so I just literally hit them up. I was like, yo, like, what's going on with these? What are the details? What's going on? Who's the landlord? And I got all that, and I hit that guy up like that day. I was like, yo, I'm trying to get in here. What, what do I got to do? And it was like about a month's process of like going back and forth with him, because he was obviously looking for other tenants and stuff like that, and just trying to figure out what the best options were. Um, but I finally like just kind of convinced him and he gave me the opportunity so the flagship guys moved out um mid-april and then i solidified that when they moved out and so i got the keys at the end of april and then may june was my build out and then i opened in july so you changed walls and so i went in i like redid all the walls i redid some electrical finished the bathroom finished some of the ceiling all yourself yeah me and my dad yeah me and my dad my dad is a master builder 100% What's your dad's master name? builder Vicente Vicente Yeah shouts out to Vicente Yeah 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 he's a master builder he's always been super creative and growing up just seeing him build everything he's he's built almost everything in our house he expanded the house like crazy and everything and anything you see I'm like that's my dad and he's just that's like so amazing in that sense and my mom is super organized and business driven so I got like both of those combined hey. and I was like let's go Here we are with the marrying of Yes exactly everything just always kind of blended in, in this perfectly great way for me so we we finished that out and then i just did the opening because i was like do i want to like keep expanding and growing and wait to do my opening later and i was like no let's just do it like let's yeah. just do it and kind of just jump in and like you know just kind of see what is happening so i opened right in the middle of um what is called the third friday art walk season okay so that happens in strawberry hill during may to october so basically, it's kind of like First Fridays yeah. in the Crossroads, but we do Third Fridays, and we shut down part of the street on the main street of 6th Street in Strawberry Hill. We close down a section, and they have like hundreds of vendors, artists, performances, food, like all the businesses open up, and they host different artists. And it's just like a big, huge like art fest, and it's super dope. It's super fun. I think this past year was the third year that they've been cool. doing it, and I've participated in and out of it when I was... um barely moving back like I would still like go out and do some life painting or pop-ups and stuff so I was like I'm gonna open during this time and I opened on third Friday in July and I just like put up all of my stuff around put up all my merch and just kind of opened the doors and just kind of had my grand opening saw what happened and I had like over 200 people come through that day just show love support I like did the ribbon cutting and everything cool. had music had food trucks sold a bunch of merch and it was great, man. It was honestly super great. So for me to have now a space that encompasses every and all the services that I offer, me personally as an artist, but have people being able to come to a space now and like get that whole experience, that was where the dream started. And now being here is like 
crazy. Dude. It feels so weird, man. Congratulations. Yeah, thank That's you. That's so cool. Thank you. Now, none of my business, and feel free to tell me no, so, yeah. but uh, I'm not a, a person that uh, can see uh, you know, a business plan or finances and, mm -hmm. and things of this nature, uh, unless I have like pen and paper in yeah. front of me. And, um, but, uh, you're, you're able to turn a profit. Like you have your overhead winds up being, uh, yeah. uh, less than, I mean, right. You're yeah. bringing in revenue by yeah. selling merch and offering functions, mm -hmm. um, or, uh, can people, rent the space too or yeah okay yeah, so that's why i say it's a multi-use creative yeah. space because i use it as my own personal studio so all my own client work and stuff like personal client commissions um i do like clothing orders for people um people just come in and they're like yo i need some logos done i do side stuff that aren't necessarily my brand or style but i know how to do illustration and design in order to help other brands start to grow like new mom and pop restaurant that just opened i'll go to them and just be like yo do you guys have a logo do you have business cards do you have this that like i can offer them and i'll give them a little package deal and i give it to them fairly cheap or i do trade work if they're willing to like sure. do pop-ups at my spot for free or this and that like i'm always working with the community and trying to build them as much as i can so i offer my skills they offer theirs and we do a little bit of trade That's work. awesome so I'm always just looking for like new opportunities in that sense. So yes, it is um, a gallery space during the third Friday art walks. Like I opened the door so to have my stuff in there, but also I want to start hosting other artists oh, to be creating shows. Cool. You know, so that's definitely the plan for this year. Um, I have the storefront right when you walk in. So all of the merch that I create in store, which is my clothing line, and then all the like prints, uh, skulls, stickers, buttons, pins, anything and everything that I create is right there for easy accessibility yeah, for yeah. anybody to walk in. Um, I also do uh, workshops and artist talks and presentations. Oh, wow. So that goes into like kind of the vinyl workshop that we just mentioned. Yeah. I do a big one for October for Dia de Muertos. The entire month of October, I do one that you can come in and paint your own sugar skull. And I give you a presentation on what Dia de Muertos is. You see my ofrenda. I give you pan de muerto. Work with other local like groceries and like promotion and just help businesses get in. And we just, you leave with your own sugar skull. Cool. Yeah. And landlords. Yeah, cool. A hundred percent. Like he's all for anything and everything that I'm doing in there. Nice. As, as long as I'm not like going crazy and throwing wild parties right. and everything, you know. But, but you don't have uh, a worry that like uh -oh. in a year from now or whatever, you might have to look for a new. I mean, I'm always looking for new spaces just because I feel like I'm going to start growing and evolving. So I'm always looking for the bigger, better deal. If I okay. find a space that's way cheaper than what I'm paying in a better location, a hundred percent, I'm going to try to go check it out. Okay. You know, I'm not locked into this space by any means but it is a great jumping off point for me and it, the opportunity just kind of presented itself and i was like let's try this out because if i don't i'm always gonna wonder what yeah. if yeah you know and it no. was a perfect like month-to-month -month situation oh too. cool so i'm like what, what there's nothing to lose when, honestly when. like yeah so when you walk into the space you personally yeah are you do, are, do you feel yourself like joy filled yeah like this is the shit i'm so stoked I a did lot this. man nice. it feels really nice because Throughout my entire career, like, I've kind of always worked from home or had, like, home studios or I would go and, like, um, be in, like, um, community uh, studio spaces. Like, I would have my own space, but it would be with a bunch of different artists. Sure. So I wanted to experience all of that and just kind of get a little bit out of it as much as I could. And I love those scenarios. Like, they, they've worked for me this entire time, but... I always just wanted to open the doors and just be like, this is my space. Just kind of like how you have your space here. Yeah. Like, this is your space. This is your sanctuary. You can do whatever you want in here. 
And I'm so grateful that like my landlord trusted me because I like have murals around. I like redid some of the walls with like some brick texture. I like went all out in every single corner and piece of that space is me. And it just is it just shouts the Dink brand, you know? So I was very lucky. And every time I go in there, like it just like kind of comes over me that like this is my space and like I'm in my own sanctuary and I can do whatever I want. And it just fills me with so much creativity to just go, you know, and it just changes my mentality from like being at home and being a dad and everything like just getting to my space and opening my doors and just having people come in and be interested and just kind of like curious uh, is great. But I'm just in there working the whole time. That's super, super cool. I mean, it's also super cool that you live in the house that you grew up in and adds a whole other layer to the ofrenda. Yes, I mean, like exactly literal generations and figurative generations. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's insane. And we, we do our ofrenda in the big, my dad created this extension to our house and it's a giant dining room. So that's where we host all of our family parties and functions. And we can host like 20 people. Really? Yeah. Seated? Yeah. Seated. We have a huge, huge table. That's just like 20 people, like 10, 10 on your dad built. No, we bought that one in Mexico, (laughs) but the whole room itself, we built it when I was like, 10 11 or so and i remember being part of the build out like i was out there we're throwing the cement putting the bricks putting the 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 wow. wood the, everything we were we, we always grew up being part of all of my dad's build outs so we always saw everything that he could do and how it was just like let's build this with our own hands like we don't have to hire anybody right. my dad was very proud of that aspect that he was able to provide and like yeah. create all this stuff and also teach his kids you know how to do these things yeah. and so i love working with my dad and he was super psyched when i when i got the space and he's like all right i'm coming back because he goes back and forth from mexico so he's usually out there the entire winter because he doesn't like the cold so he's just what a chilling surprise. out there in his rancho fly yeah he'll fly he'll fly sometimes or sometimes he'll take the bus so he can just okay like, you know fly a okay. little bit cheaper but he was super hyped with it, so him coming back and being able to be part of the process and all that and helping me with the build-out. I have, like, a little, like, picture of my dad in the studio that says, like, shout-out to him because he helped me and all this stuff. And it's, like, the most bizarre picture because it's him. Like, they just Photoshopped his face on Rambo in Las Vegas. <laughs> and I just have that. And people are like, why is your dad super ripped? And I'm like, yeah, he's, we used to work out, you know? Yeah, but yeah. Just little Don't things like me, that, man. man. Yeah. My dad will come out. Exactly. You got to watch out. <laughs> Oh my goodness! So youngest of four. Yes. And um, how did mom and dad meet? Do you know? They met in Mexico. Um, so it was during the time when my mom was in Mexico City, and my dad actually grew up in a little town outside of Mexico City. That's like about forty-five minutes out, and it's called San Vicente Chicoloapan. Okay. And that's a tiny little town, like just one center square. It looks like the town in Coco. It's okay. super tiny, very rustic, very Picturing like that. that dog. Yes, exactly. Following you around. Yes. Yeah. So it's very much like that. And so we grew up going to Mexico City and going to his rancho all the time, every summer. So my dad would come down to Mexico City for work. And then my mom went to school with some of my dad's sisters. Okay. So it was kind of like a random sort of weird connection. And uh, my parents tell the story all the time that that my dad was like, they actually brought your mom to me so that they can we can get married. And my mom's like, the hell they did? You're crazy. <laughs> but the story is basically like, my dad really liked my mom and basically um, asked my grandma, my mom's mom, like, hey, do you guys want to come to a party that we're having in the rancho? 
come out there and we're just going to have a party. We just want to invite our friends or whatever, this and that. And he's like, she knows my sisters. So, like, you know, it's not that weird. Right. Um, and my mom was like, hell no. I'm like, I ain't going to this fucking rancho-ass party. You know, I'm just going to chill here. And so then I believe at the time my dad's dad, my grandfather, um, he was what is called in Mexico del presidente, the president. So he was, but in that time of the actual town, it's like being a mayor. Okay. So he was the mayor of that town. So he had a lot of pool. So then he then like it told them like, yo, you should definitely come. We'll send a car or whatever. And so then they came and they picked them up and then they brought them. So it was like my grandma, my mom, some of my aunts and uncles. They all went to the rancho to the party. And that's when my dad's like, yeah, they brought you so that they can, you know, we can get married. And my nice. mom's like, yeah, right. So that's how they met. And they were obviously super young. And just back then, you know, you would just get married and then just kind of figure out life. So yeah. I mean, just got married super young, and they had my sister, and then they had my brother, and my mom had to go move to the rancho and live her rancho life. She didn't like it, and then my dad got an opportunity to come down to Kansas City and just start working, so he found great work, and um, he was like, let's just do this. Let's just figure this out and make more money, come down here and search for a better life. Went back out there, was like, do you want to move? And my mom's like, yeah, get me out of this rancho. Like, let's Let's go. So then they just came down here, and my parents have been here for 42, 43 years now. Okay. So yeah. so oldest two born in Mexico, oldest youngest two, yeah. two born in KC. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, uh, memories of mom and dad uh, putting on music in the home for yeah. you guys to listen to? Yeah. Well, what were they into? All the time, man. Um, my mom, well, my parents, uh, they love to dance. Okay. So they always had a music going on. The house was never quiet. Like, sure. I remember that all the time. And that's kind of how I am now, too. I can't, I don't like the quiet. I don't like just, I wake up and I'll like immediately like just turn something on. And now my daughter is like that, too. Like, she'll wake up and she'll go to the TV and be like, ugh. So she, I know she wants music. Right. And she doesn't even watch TV like that. Like, she doesn't sit there and just watch. So she just wants noise, sound, something. So we would listen to, uh, obviously, mariachi music. Vicente Fernandez um, would listen to old school, like boleros, like trios, like just like guitar just like very influential like folklore like music yeah um but also they would just put on their like dancing music so salsa merengue some cumbia some norteñas a little bit of everything like the household wasn't necessarily just one thing um what was the medium because this is before streaming yeah what, what are, the, are they no CDs i mean they would or? have yeah so they would have their cds my dad did have records like okay. old vinyls and stuff that he would sometimes play um, but yeah, it was mainly that and um, CDs was usually the things. My dad had some old school tapes too that nice. he would just play here and yeah. there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just remember um, my dad had a sound system too. Okay. And he would randomly play at like uh, or rent them out for quinceañeras. Oh. Yeah. So then like he would sometimes play or some of my cousins would like DJ and like go and rent the system from him. And then I got into it a little bit too. I would go and play some quinceañeras too and I was like DJing. But I remember the old school, like, just CD books, just yeah. huge CD yeah. books. And you're just going through all of them. 500 so. case logic. Yep. Yeah. So my dad would always, when we would go to Mexico, we would go to the mercados. And he would always just, give me the new CDs, give me this, give me that. And all our mu music would come from Mexico. So we would have the newest shit from Mexico that we would play at the quinceañeras. And people were like, damn, we haven't heard that. Huh. And so we were on top of it in that nice. sense. We were really into it. Now... Uh, I've likened the idea of, of the music that your parents play when you're young to furniture, right? It's oh, there. Yeah. You, yeah. You, maybe you have an opinion about yeah, it. Yeah. You remember it. And eventually, at some point, you, you take a step in your own direction mm -hmm. and, and start down uh, your own path. Yeah. Is there uh, an album uh, 
not necessarily from your list, which thank you yeah. for that, by the way, uh, that you first fell in love with or maybe bought or borrowed or that mm. sticks out? Um, I mean, I would say it would probably be just the stuff that my brothers had around. Okay. You know, it was just kind of like the, they influenced me a lot um, as far as the music and stuff. But um, I remember seeing, and I probably shouldn't have grabbed this CD, but my brother had the Marshall Mathers EP. EP. Okay. So I remember listening to Eminem a lot when I was younger, like a lot. And I probably shouldn't have been doing that <laughs> at my age. But it just always stood out to me. And, and that was something that I just always grew up with was kind of like hip hop because of my brothers and stuff. Sure. And my other brother listened to a lot of R&B. But then my other brother, Robert, would always like listen to like Mexican music and cumbias and this and that. Sure. And he was very involved in that whole scene. So I kind of got a mixture of different things yeah. and it was kind of like a mixture of different things, just like my parents. So I never really stuck to one sort of genre. I just kind of just evolved with like whatever I liked, I liked. And it just was always, as long as I had something playing, yeah, like it, it was super cool. So now are your, are your parents uh, fluent in English now? Um, it's still broken. Okay. But, so, but uh, that yeah. Spanish was spoken 100%, growing up. That's all we were speaking. So they might not have known what Eminem was yeah, talking no, about. No, not at all. So they're like, all right, cool. As long as you're fine. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and, and siblings live where right now? Uh, so they're all still here in okay. KC. Okay. Um, my sister actually lives out like close to like Sedalia in this place called Nobnoster. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So she's out there doing her thing. And, um, it's because my niece is in a college out there. So they're kind of just still doing their thing. And then my other brother, Robert, he lives out in Lee Summit. And then my other brother still lives around here, like around the airport. Okay, so. cool. And then I'm still in Strawberry Hill. Yeah, yeah. Um, how about live music performances? Would you guys go to those as family? Or did you mm. did you go see concerts with friends when you were in middle yeah. school? Like, what, what's up? I remember my earliest exposure to that was probably in Mexico. Like, we would go and see, like, live performances because they would have, like, um, like, seasonal like fiestas and like parties like so we would go to like each little town kind of has like their independence day fiesta kind of nice. like the birth of the town like when it was founded okay and so they have every year they have like their certain parties and so i remember growing up we would go to certain parties and they would always have live music and and just growing up in mexico like my uncles or like my godmother's dad like they were part of like trios and mariachi so that was always around for any party any meal they would just start playing and so I was introduced to live music very, very early on, and I loved it, man. I was just hooked. Never never had a hankering to pick up an instrument yourself, though? I mean, I, like, always loved the guitar, and I was, like, dabble here and there with it. But then it would kind of mess my fingers up, and then it would interrupt me drawing. Oh, there you go. So then I just chose to draw instead of that. Me. It's not for me. But then my I got really into drumming for a bit, and, oh. when, and it was when I was in, like, middle school, and my dad got me a drum kit. So I got really into drumming for a bit. And then my mom got real tired of that real quick. <laughs> Mandale yeah. al rancho. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but but I loved it, man. So I got into that a little bit. My brother had a friend who played really good drums. So he kind of taught me the basics. And I would just kind of mess around occasionally and here and there. But I never got fully invested in any in one instrument. I would just kind of dabble around. That's cool. But yeah, right it was on. fun. Um, so let's see here. Uh, you did send me a list. Uh, very cool. Uh, huge... Uh, time range. swath yeah. and range but uh, if we go uh chronologically yeah. we start with self-titled richie oh, valens yes. yes sir 1959 first of only two records yeah. for him sadly r.i.p and peace to oh, him yes. 12 tracks 25 minutes 
what's the uh, introduction story uh, for you and, and Richie Valens? I would say I would always hear La Bamba mm-hmm. when I would go to Mexico. I would hear the original Bamba. Um, and it was just very traditional, very folklore, very like, I believe it came from Veracruz, if I'm not mistaken. But um, that was just always like a really good, like, upbeat song. Yep. And you would hear it and you're, it's kind of like, I don't know. I hate to well, compare hell, it to this. opening notes. Yes, yeah, that guitar just hits. And you're just like, boom, immediately just like pop. Let's go. Yes, exactly. So I just remember always hearing that song growing up. But then hearing this version... I always loved like old school, like doo-wop and the rock era and this, the 50s rock era, like was super f- cool and fun to me because my parents were danced to it. And so I would always hear it. Well, that's what they're saying. <laughs> Baila, yeah, la, yeah, yeah. Para bailar la bamba. Para yes, bailarla, yeah, to you. dance the, the bamba. So hearing this version, I was like, that's new. Like, no. And it is because he was the first one it's to do different. that. <laughs> yes, exactly. And he was the first one to blend that. And, um, I always just loved his version of it. So I would always hear it. But I never fully got invested in Richie until his movie came out. Oh, yeah. So the movie La Bamba came yeah. out. And um, that was just a story of his life and his mom, his brother, and the girl Donna that you know he made the song on. And it's just his entire life story. And that is when I fully got invested in him. Because okay. his entire life story was revolved around death. And a lot of people don't really get that. A lot of people just know that he died. Twenty-eight. He was seventeen. Seventeen. He was seventeen. Damn. He was only famous into his career eight months before he died. God. And, and this was is he, what he was released. he flying for work for a show? Yeah. So or? he literally flew. Um, it was right after a show, and it was Buddy Holly, the Big Bopper, and him. That's right. And so basically, after the show ended, their bus didn't have any heat, and so they were all kind of getting sick. So Buddy Holly charted a plane, a private plane, to leave to take him to the next gig, and the plane took off, and not even an hour in, it crashed because it was a huge winter storm. Oh. And so they just all died from Damn. immediate plane crash, yeah. and they say that that's the day the music died. That's what they coined it. So that whole thing, like, hearing that story, I was like, that's insane. Like, what are the odds of that shit happening? And the only reason he got on the plane was because he won a a coin uh, toss. What? Yeah, he flipped a coin against one of Buddy Holly's, like, guitarists or bassists, and he won. And he's like, this is the first coin flip I've ever won. And he got on the plane. And then, boom. Yes, but he was just eight months into his career. So within those eight months, he was able to release these two albums. Um... And the songs that he released on them were obviously very traditional rock, like doo-wop-y, like that sort of flavor. But when he released La Bamba, that was something that his record company was like, we don't want to do that. Like, we don't want to offend nobody. It's like a folk Shit. song, this and that. And he was like, let me tackle it. And he's like, you don't even know Spanish. He didn't speak Spanish, like, perfectly. He was very broken because he was Chicano. He was born in, in sure. Pocoima. Um, but he comes from Mexican descent. But he always was influenced because he would just cross over the border and go to Tijuana. And he would always hear Mexican music. So he loved hearing it. So he decided that he wanted to basically do his version of La Bamba in rock and roll and just hit that opening note just with his electric guitar and smash it. And he learned Spanish just to sing this song. Because he even in the movie, he says, if Nat King Cole can sing in Spanish, so can I. Right. And so he just kills it. And it creates this ripple effect, even after he died, of influences of taking old school Mexican songs and reviving them with new sounds, whether it's hip hop, 
uh, rock, like classical music, like anything. And so that inspired huh. like Los Lobos, Selena, Café Tacuba. All are these you, people are you just into came Los after. Lobos? Yeah, I love Dude, Los Lobos. They are they're legit. Amazing. Yeah, and, and they're they have the ones a who ton covered. of music. Yes, a lot. a lot, a lot. And they're the ones who covered and did the covers songs for the movie La Bamba. Right, was Los Lobos. Okay, and they they have a little small cameo when. Um, his brother takes Richie to Mexico for the first time and gets him completely plastered. <laughs> but before that happens, they take him into this like bar and he hears La Bamba and Los Lobos are there playing La Bamba, like okay. the traditional Bamba. And then that's where he gets inspired to go back and be like, I want to try this song out. I, I mean, I, I, this might be that song, his, his, that might be like my introduction to hearing spanish really hearing spanish yeah i mean That's like very young i mean uh oldies you yeah. know it's it's and then classic i was a classic rock person for yeah. a little while somewhere you know it's like oh yeah like i didn't know there's a whole lot i didn't know that you could yeah. do musically it's yeah. not just uh verse verse chorus right right, right. you know yeah. to four four time yeah, i mean exactly there's a whole world out there and and that's. I mean, it doesn't surprise me that somebody was like, "We don't want to do that," but yeah. I'm, I'm glad he said he, we got to go did. for it. Without him, like all of these other bands wouldn't have taken that sort of formula and jumped with it, you know. And it's crazy to just think back to these little tiny moments that like happen in history and be like, "Without that, like this wouldn't have happened." And that's how I see my career. Like without my name being given to me, like I wouldn't have expanded into this and that. So this movie just had a lot of meaning with it, and. The more I dive deeper into this this movie, um, the more I relate to it as far as like the death aspect of life. Um, because in the very opening scene, they show a plane crash and it falls on these kids that are playing in a playground. Holy shit. And he then wakes up and it's like his dream, like he was dreaming it, like a nightmare. And then as the movie progresses, he always kind of says like, I don't want to fly, I don't want to fly, I have my reasons. And then as the movie progresses, you realize that he says that he never wants to fly because he always has these nightmares of dying on a plane crash. Yeah. And that opening scene was um, his best friend playing on the playground at the school he was in, and the, these planes crashed, and the pieces fell, and they killed those kids that were on the playground. <laughs> and the only reason he wasn't there was because he was at his grandpa's funeral. So he always felt that death was always around and pursuing him, but keeping him alive just long enough to create this, which is wow. insane. And yet he still ended up dying in a plane crash. That's bananas. Right? Wow. Yeah. Um, man, that's, yeah. that. Uh, I mean, yeah, de the, you cheat death once, but yeah. it's coming for you at some yeah. point. Yeah, there's a saying in Spanish, it's, cuando te toca, te toca, aunque te quites. Meaning, when it's your time, it's your time, even if you try to move out of the right. way. Yeah. Right? And wow. it was just enough time for him to for me fulfill his purpose in life and then just kind of like it was his time like yeah. he just evaded it for long enough to just get this out man uh i'm gonna jump in the restroom yeah. real yeah. quick so richie valens 1959 yeah. and then a big giant leap uh conceptually and uh across time mm -hmm. 1994 ready to die oh yeah notorious big yes, sir uh, first of second of two for him yeah. as well. Uh, seventeen tracks, sixty nine minutes. When we were messaging, yeah. uh, and I uh, it was, hey, can you hit me with the list? You were like, 
boom, here's all these genres yeah. that I'm into and rap and hip hop were part of. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Eminem, but uh, what what was your um, your introduction to rap and hip hop and, and, and why is this one wind up being special for you? Um, I think mainly because, like I said, it was my siblings. They were mm-hmm. the ones who kind of like had the music around and I would just grab whatever they had, but they always had Biggie and... Um, and, you know, there's always a debate of Biggie and Tupac, but <laughs> my brothers were really heavily into Biggie. Okay. Like, and it was just kind of like what I would always hear and everything. And um, it was just different. It like kind of hit different and resonated a little bit different. Just the beats like stood out a lot more to me and just his flow. His flow was so like melodic and like just hit differently that it just kind of caught me. Like it, it, it felt like a different type of swag to like kind of say, oh. like a different type of stepping to it. Sure. You know, like... And even, even early on when I would listen to this, like I, I love going just like through an album, you know, and just kind of hearing. Yes. He was just such a big storyteller, you know. For I could sure. I could definitely hear everything that he was saying, even though it didn't necessarily relate to my life and like almost at all, because this being in New York, you know, around that time and all the gangster drug shit that he talked about, but I could just visualize everything that he would say, and it just low like it was just flowing so perfectly well that like it just captivated me and it was easy lyrics for me to remember as a kid and i was just rapping along you know just every song on here just had something a little bit different to it and um obviously the big popular hits that he came out with on this but even the stuff behind that like people don't fully talk about on here i thought was amazing even the track with the what with method man how Mm -hmm. they just go back and forth and back and forth and there was an interview i saw that they were just like Nah, Biggie got him. He's like, nah, Meth got him. And they're both like, we were both just trying to fucking rap. Like, when they both like just equally like kept one got, after got another. Got him in like the rap battle yes. sense. It was okay. amazing. And it was just so cool. And even in his intro, his intro is his entire life in one intro. I don't know if you remember it, but it's a, it's basically, it just starts off with, his birth, like his mom is like giving birth. You like hear it, uh-huh. and like Diddy is supposed to be like the dad, and you hear like the time in like the old school like funk music, because it's the time when he was born. Yeah, and then they play another track uh, that's more like hip hoppy, like early hip hop, mm-hmm. and he's like you know a little kid, and that's the stuff he had in his tape. And then he gets older, and you're hearing more up to date rap, and then he's like out here like robbing shit and doing guns and hustling. And then you hear him go to jail, and then you hear what's happening during that time. And then you hear him get out, and he starts off saying, like, oh, I can't wait to get out of this jail. And he's like, they're, like, walking him out. You hear the steps, and the guard's like, oh, don't worry, you'll be back. And he's like, nah, I got big plans. And then he leaves, and the album starts. I was like, that is tight. That is tight. I'm like, damn, that's like, you're just, like you're thinking and you're like offering something new that I felt like I never heard before. You know, you're offering that story and you're setting the tone in the scene for the viewer to then understand what is coming next. Um, so Eminem, some notorious B I G, uh, any other favorites? Um, I mean, I liked Pac for sure. Like I liked all the stuff that he was doing, but just like, I don't know. I was always over here, you know, I was always kind of in that, um, obviously Wu Tang was great. Um, I, you know, just it was cool, like to have like a crew of rappers like that. I always loved yeah. that, and I have like my own crew of like creatives. We have solo crew, yeah. And so I always kind of like related yeah. to sort of that, you know. Um, my 
my good buddy Adam, uh, who came on for episode 13, mm-hmm. uh, he had this. This is the only other time that this record has made oh, some really? And he said, I remember during our conversation about this one, he said, I don't really know how to explain it, but I've always just liked that I could tell that he was fat by the yeah, way that yeah. he sounded. And I was Talk. like, yeah, him and Big Pun. Yeah, yeah. You can hear their breaths. Just like there was one song that I heard on Spotify that was um, Big Pun's um, I'm Not a not a Player. Mm, mm-hmm. And they cut out the sound and it was just him. And you hear him take breaths, like heavy breaths before each verse and he just spits it. Wow. So I have no idea how this man, it must have been the biggest breath he ever took. <laughs> but literally in the... The twins, the the Mob Deep cover that he did um, with the beat and um, where he's with rapping with Fat Joe. Mm. And he says, dead in the middle of little Italy, little did we know the rudiddle, the middle man who didn't do diddly. Damn. That shit, that shit. When I heard that, I was like, this guy, oh, I bet he almost passed out in the studio. Right. Like that shit was. And so that's one of my lines that I just always remember. And I feel like his voice is also very like remnant of his. And it's just this like big man like tough like power but just flows sure. so like perfectly seamlessly and it's just like it's like a vibe i love it hell yeah um and then a shorter leap uh to 2001 barrio bravo yeah. celso pina mm-hmm. 2001 9 of 16 yeah man uh, he went in monterrey yeah is where this cat's from uh oh, yeah and uh, the rebel of the accordion and the chieftain of the bell. Oh yeah, is uh, uh, what a, titles what a title. for him. Yeah, uh, tell me, I've never heard of this cat before. No? Yeah. Oh man, this is gonna be fun. So he is basically the godfather of what is now considered the new age cumbia. Uh huh. Um. So, like you saw, like he has hella albums, like yeah. a lot. Yeah. And even before this one, this one came out, I believe. What'd you say, like two thousand one? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Before then, he, I think he started in like the seventies, late late seventies, eighties, maybe. And he he had like four, maybe four albums before that. And this one is the one that launched him. Okay. Before then, it was kind of like weird to play like cumbias like live, and um. Because cumbia in and of itself is um, originated in Colombia. That's a, a, okay. My actual first question, because I keep seeing Colombian rhythms, yeah. Colombian rhythms, uh-huh. and talking about cumbia. And so my question was does cumbia always have to have Colombian rhythms? Or Yes, to an extent, because that's where the origin is. So it's like cumbia from Colombia is where it started. And so back then it was very tropical, it was very flavorful. Mm. It like, just gave you like a nice little, like, beat to kind of dance to and step to um but it was very like upbeat and um he started to hear that because there was this wave of sending colombia cumbia to mexico um and then they were also sending it to texas i believe it was austin texas so they were send albums like that to mexico city and to like texas and then they would send them to monterrey I don't know why that little triangle just like happened. And when Celso growing up in Monterrey, he like got a hold of these and he loved them. He's like, I want to start doing this. Like, I want to start playing whatever. So him and his siblings got together and started the band. Oh, the little I saw group. one of the bandmates had the yeah. same last mm-hmm. So it's brother. him and his siblings that started it. And it was Celso Piña and Surronda Bogota. And Bogota is a tribute to Colombia. Obviously, Bogota is over there. Um but basically, he just wanted to just play 
these like cumbias that he would hear and kind of like in a way like remix them or just do them live, you know, and at that time, people weren't into that music. People were like, we like cumbias, but like, let's just listen to them. I don't want to go. I'm not going to pay to go see a cumbia. Right. Like, it's not it. They were listening to like Norteñas or baladas, mariachi stuff, like traditional Mexican stuff. So at first, that's why his first albums didn't really like hit because everybody wasn't really fully into it. Huh. But he was like, whatever, I'm going to keep doing it. Like, he didn't <laughs> care. He's like, this is what I want to do. So he then was like, I want to start taking the rhythms that we're doing and switching them up a bit and start adding different flavors. So he got inspired by taking like old school, kind of like what Richie did with old school, like oh, folklorico yeah. Yeah, yeah. and adding his sort of rhythm and beat to it. So he started mixing and working with rappers, working with rock, really? rock, uh-huh, working with different types of rhythms and beats and incorporating them into the cumbia and then him being the lead like accordionist. He would just hit it with like all of these dope ass like melodies and beats. And that just created this whole new genre of cumbia that like was now reaching these kids that were into rock, these kids that were into hip hop and blending these old school styles. And he just created this brand new sound. And this was the album that did that first. And he okay. started collaborating with his people okay. and it just launched him into like wow. the next level. Is this is this like where you know uh, Cumbia Kings? And yeah. The, who's the dude that's all? Ah, yeah, yes, wow. yeah. So that's Cumbia Kings is Abe Gitania. So that's Selena's brother, actually. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So that that's came from that. Um. But yes, the Cumbia sort of like hip hoppy sort of style and yeah. stuff. He started it. Okay. He is the Pioneer. godfather of that. There yes. And when nobody else was doing it, he was like, I'm gonna keep doing it. So, in this album, the very first song, the Cumbia sobre el Rio song. Uh -huh. That song blew up like crazy. And I believe it got featured in like one of those movies. It was either like Crash or Babel, I believe. Oh, one of those. Okay. Maybe it was Babel. But like, you know those movies that are like kind of everything is connected type deal? Yeah. So it was in that and everybody heard that and it just blew people's mind. Because this one is a mix of cumbia with like some like hip hop and like rough like bass beat. Like it just hits different. Mm. And... um. I believe he collaborated with El Gran Silencio on this, and they're like a hip hop group out there. And um, it just, it was just ahead of its time, I guess. It was just revolutionary. Sure. And it just opened the doors for like a bunch of people to start collaborating in different types of ways. And um, he just made Cumbia go mainstream. And he was then able to create, um, make Monterrey a hub for this type of Cumbia oh, really? music. And then DJ started to play that everywhere. Other people started to take it on in Mexico City and different places, and they just started to create their own sort of sound and just hit these, like, deep basses and these deep notes. And I think that some of that even came from, like, Texas, like the Chopped and Screwed era stuff. Like, it probably came, like, and it just meshed in Monterrey so perfectly well that it just, like, blew up and created this whole new subgenre of cumbia. Nice. And it just related to this new young generation. And from that... um, came the new which is now the underground movement and it's starting to come up but it's called colombia with the k and that is a subdivision of even this okay and it's um they would take old school records from colombia like vinyl records and um they would just play them like in in uh, monterrey they would just play like at parties and stuff and they would play so much music and just have all these dances like public events so much that their machines would start to overheat and the speed on the actual vinyl, like the actual mixer, 
like got messed up and it lowered the speed of the song so it started to go slower so a cumbia that's like started going like and then people loved it they really? lost their shit okay and so this whole subcategory of it just created this huge movement in monterrey that from his sound people then started to like chop and screw it even more and slow it down and everyone loved it and mm. that's where the cumbia circle evolved and people just dance in a circle at parties really and yeah okay if you I ever go that. to like quinceañeras and stuff like that they'll play a good cumbia and people are just in a circle just dancing vibing hitting all the steps and moving and that is a whole new genre of it. And cool. it started with this man. Wow. So yeah. uh, 15 other records by yeah. him. Are you? Do you know them all? Or? Uh, not all of them, but like there's certain songs through each of them sure. that like I, I just love. And they hit. And I think it's because it hits this sort of like different type of style. But he also still includes some of the traditional cumbia hits. So then you, you're still kind of like hearing the roots of it. Oh, but then cool. you're hearing the new age of it. And then you hear a song with he's like singing with like a rock guy. Like Café Tacuba is another like Mexican group, and he like sings this amazing slow down like balada sort of song, and it still has that sort of cumbia backdrop to it, and cool. you're just like into it. It's right tight, back, right back it's beautiful. To the, the ofrenda in yeah. your house. Yes. Yeah. Uh, do you you fuck around and get on TikTok at all? Yeah, here and there. Yeah. Uh, I have it in in, in a little bit, yeah. um, but uh, in my last little wave of being on there frequently. Um, I came across a dude called, I thought it was uh, DJ Spizike, mm. but it, I, th I think it's Spizik. Spizik. Okay. Anyway, he's, he's, I think he's from Mexico, mm. um, and he's insane. Really? Like, he plays old school mexican records yeah and and then and then brings in scratches is and it beat. just like him filming himself yes i've seen him yeah he's, he's, he's got some ink yes yes he is fucking so he talented amazing though. i can't believe he hasn't like exploded yeah and maybe maybe i just need to get back on tiktok yes. and see that he has but yeah, yeah that, i love that stuff man that stuff i think is is kind of like a genre of its own just taking that stuff because it's things that we grew up with Kind of like just taking one of my parents' records and then throwing it on and then give and he just remixes homage, it and I love homage, that man. homage homage exactly and he's I think he might be like straight like so like sober really like across oh, cool. the board sober yeah oh cool I, I feel I feel like he ends all of his videos you know with he's already doing homage yeah, but yeah, I feel yeah. like he ends them with like yeah this is what these this people is, are this is what's up yeah. this is how I yeah I I love that stuff man and my kind of introduction to that sort of style of stuff came from one of my crewmates. Um, he's a local DJ here. Uh, his name is FK Minnis. Okay. And he, we've been homies for like 10 years. Um, we met in art school, and then from there we just always connected, and he's part of Solo Crew. He does um, these amazing like um, DJ sets, live performances. He creates his own beats and stuff like that too. So he's all over the town just doing his own shows, and he's killing it. What's his name again? FK Minis. FK Minis. Yeah, shout so that's out. His, that's his Instagram. So he's, okay. he's a dope, dope guy, man. But um, he comes from a family of luchadores. Oh, really? And uh, when he plays, he wears his, his luchador mask that was passed down from generations. Does he have so, a smaller version of himself? No, not yet. Not he yet. does need to do a little <laughs> little one. I'm, I'm going to let him know. That's a great idea. Actually. Nice. But he's... um. He's very into that sort of like old school flavor too. Like he grew up in in you know in Texas, and they have that his his uncles and dads and stuff. They would have the old school records and stuff. So he was highly inspired by that era, um, and um, 
we're just always vibing. Like I will go to his studio and he's just making beats and then we start chopping it up about old music and stuff that we loved. And he's into cumbia too. So I always send him new records and new nice. this and that. And he like plays them for his sets because he has oh. different types of things. So we're always helping each other out in that sense. But we collaborated on this really dope project when I was in Denver. I hosted this Dia de Muertos show. It was called the Calaca show. And I literally gave like about 20 artists like an acrylic skull, like the die cut silhouette of a skull, and they all just painted whatever they wanted. And I hosted it on Dia de Muertos at a gallery out there. And I asked him to come out and play, like be part of the show. So he came out there. But prior to that, we were working on for like, I don't know, a month or two, a collaborative sort of EP mix that he was going to drop. Oh, wow. That took all these old school songs that were important to me and kind of to him and um, he, I sent him that playlist and I would tell him like, this was my grandma's favorite song and this was this, this was that and the meanings behind them. And then he would then create beats off of those old school songs. And then we told a story with this EP. It's like X amount of songs, but the titles, when you read it, it's just one long paragraph in a way of like a poem. Hmm. So one song leads to the next song, to the next song, to the next song. And like it's Jiggy's just, intro. yes, exactly. But even just reading it, so it's intro, things done change, give me the loot, like that. So, but we would say like, um, I forget the song titles, but it would literally be like, este borracho está buscando. <laughs> the, and it would just be one look, like poem when you would see it as an actual album. But oh. each song was reminiscent of our old school past and like those songs that we grew up listening to. But they all told stories of deceased like family members mm. and so it was very very much so like an homage to dia de muertos cool. and it was like one of our i don't know it's one of our favorite albums that Hell we yeah. did um and i even did the cover art for it i did the skull like with oh. the ripped mask and all this stuff it was oh, pretty wow. tight man so nice. we went all in on the collaboration and that's still one of my favorite albums that he's done and um we still play it occasionally here cool. and there throughout but uh man shout out to him he's, he's yeah. super dope with that music stuff like I get into my whole process and everything and seeing him get into his process and his craft, like, man, I absolutely love it. It's tight. Yeah. Uh, any other uh, Hispanic artists uh, you want give, to uh, give props to? Man, I mean, one guy that we kind of really love is this new guy named uh, El Dusty. Okay. So he does what is called Cumbia Trap. So he literally takes the Cumbia flavors that Celso kind of started and take some of the old school songs and stuff and he remixes them and he just creates these brand new waves of like cumbia too. But I saw him play um, and when I was in Denver and I actually got to live paint during one of his shows. It was oh, pretty wow. cool. So I got to meet him, hang out and everything. We've been cool ever since. Like we message each other here and there. And he got to do a show in KC that my boy FK was able to bring him down and they did a show at Lemonade Park. Mm. So we were down there and I got to live paint again that day. So I cool. got to hang out with him and all that. But he's doing really cool, like amazing stuff with the cumbia world and just blending a bunch of different Latin flavor with funk, with this, with that. And just creating, I just think it's just like this new age of like old school with the new school and just making it relevant again, but never forgetting those roots, Hell yeah. you know, and I love that storytelling, man, because that's what I do. And that's what a lot of my homies who are artists do. And that's the kind of story they love to tell. So I love that we're able to like reimagine what that means to us yeah. and like showcase it in different ways that are still relatable to now the youth here. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. Man, this has been great. Um, I like to uh, finish with some goofy questions mm -hmm. and then get you out of here. Yeah. Um, so, assuming 
everybody has a personal and a professional bucket list. Mm. Shit you want to do before yeah. you're before yeah. your certainty, yeah, yeah. you know, before antes de te toca. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so if you're given the resources to knock out uh, number one on the personal and number one on the professional, mm. what would they be? Um, I would say number one in the professional would be that I want to have like a big... I have the I have this idea of like having a show after I after I pass mm-hmm. of everyone coming together and bringing all the pieces that I've ever made whether you're like a collector or you bought a piece from me or you know whatever piece you have of mine and taking it all to one museum and just having a dink show like a life after death dink show cool in a way and everybody can come and like bring their pieces so let's say if you have one you bring your piece and you kind of just sit there and you as the viewer go around and you are able to talk to these people that own these pieces and they'll tell you the story as to how they acquired it, why, if it was a commission, this and that. And you get to have like a live sort of show of remembering like me that's and the, the work. Yeah. So that's a show that I want to have like after I pass, but I would love to have that show while I'm still here at some point. I think that would be interesting, man. I, you know, uh, so much energy, um, In the direction of passing, yeah, and uh, part of if uh, and correct me please yeah. if I'm wrong, but part of Dia de los Muertos and mm. cultura and all this stuff is that it's not the end. No. It's a but so you know it feels like you've been at peace with the idea that you know your time will come for a long time. Yeah, and I you know. Uh, that f- seems rare. Yeah. Like, uh, it, if you just look out in the yeah. world, like people are like, you know, yeah. f- afraid. Right. And yeah. uh, I mean, I, I'm guessing this is family and culture. Or, yeah. or are you unique amongst your tribe in this sense? Kind Did, of. Because you're young, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm 33. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I am. Like, my siblings obviously believe in the other mortals and all that stuff. But I've, like I said, I've always felt like I've had a connection to death. And even growing up, I always felt like I was going to die young. I always felt like I was going to Richie Valens. Whoa, don't do that. Yeah. We just got the, the space open. I know, man. I know, man. But I always just kind of had like that sort of connection. I don't know why. Like it just kind of was always wow. just in the back of my head. So that's why I say that my brand itself is a playful reminder of death, but it's here to remind you to live. And I live every day doing what I absolutely nice. love, man. There's no rhyme or reason for anybody to not be doing that. Because yeah. it's literally like... Tomorrow isn't guaranteed, so then today I want to just take advantage of that and just absolutely do my best and what I love to do. And I'm very lucky and fortunate and humbled that I'm able to do this, man. It's Dude. crazy. Um, I here here's a note you just made me think of an you know any moment of any day mm-hmm. you can open up Facebook yeah or Instagram or whatever yeah. and people are posting shit yeah but. Of the people that are posting, you live today, like you know, but who's actually like walking around yes. mindfully, living and aware yeah. and like, hey man, this is I got one shot to yeah. do this thing, and mm-hmm. every morning I wake up and I'm fucking stoked to be here, yeah. and I mean that's it's amazing. It's very rare. It's very um, rare. It's tough. It's not always. It's, it's easier said than done. Yeah. Um. But. But I mean, you you're you you're, you're 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 preaching it. You're not. Yeah. You know. You're practicing it. You're doing both. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, what about your personal? Um, for my personal, I would say, man, that's that's very hard because it's kind of contradictory to how I've lived my whole life. But I would like, I would, I'm I'm not I'm not scared of death. But I am scared of leaving my family behind. Sure. You know, especially now that I'm a father, um, I, I, I wish that my, my biggest personal bucket list is that I see my girl grow up. And, and that's like, um, that has never been my, on my top, like ever, until I became a father. And that just changed my whole mindset. Like I always felt like I was going to die young, this and that. And now for the first time in my life, I don't want to. Hmm. It's super weird. Whoa. Yeah. She's got heavy in here. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's something that I like. I want to be here for her as much as I possibly can and for my wife and just provide and just see them grow up and enjoy that time because that's something that I'm never, ever going to be able to get back. Um, and so I'm there for them as much as I can on the daily, like on the sure. daily. That's like one of my sure. biggest top priorities right now in my life. And it just, I love my career and what I do, but... If I had to choose, I would drop that on a flip of a diamond and sure. just be a full-time over here. You have uh, nieces and nephews? Yeah. I come okay. from uh, – yeah. Yeah, I have four nieces and four nephews. Okay. So I come from a big family. So uh, your girl was not your your parents' first grandchild. No. Okay. She is the last one, but she is one, and my next um, niece, she is 17. So there's oh, a huge shit. gap. Refresh? There. Yes. Like, 100%. All over yes. again. Yeah, so now she is like the baby of the family. Like everybody loves her, and she's just kind of just that's enjoying awesome. her own time. So that's that's pretty freaking cool, man. Yeah, um, you get to have lunch with anybody you're choosing, uh, dead or alive. Yeah, who and why? Oh man, um, I would say you need you need three of these guys. It's also he's gone passed. too. That's yeah. right. That's so right. So tragically, was Richie and Biggie. Yep. Celso died, lived his whole life amazingly, and died at 66 from a heart attack. Oh, wow. And my biggest regret, well, not biggest, but one of my biggest regrets is not seeing him when he came to Denver. Oh, He damn. came in March, and then he passed that year in August. Wow. And I didn't get to see him. And it was wow. in, like, 2019. I mean, I suppose that leaves you with uh, yeah. some sense of responsibility to uh, be a scholar of his work and yeah. turn him on to people who've never yeah. heard of him before. Yeah, and... I play him all the time. I always get him on to anybody and everybody. And people, when they hear that first song, they know it, but they don't fully know his story and okay. his background. Okay. And just me personally, just like my daughter, how her name is very significant to us and all that stuff. Or if we have a son, Sumaya. his name is going to be Salso. Sumaya, right? Yeah, Sumaya. Uh -huh. His or her hairnet. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um... So yeah, we'll see, man. That's why I'm really hoping for a son because it will be Celso and Tumaya. Oh, that just sounds dude. like a cool band. It does. It does. Right? Yeah. 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 So we'll see, man. Um, you're given the ability to visit your past self at any age. Yeah. What age are you choosing, and what are you saying? Um, let's see. That's a really good one. I've never been asked that before. Actually, I would probably visit 2018 me. Okay. When I was in Denver. And I would tell myself, Go to the Celso Show. What are you doing? I know. Yes, yes. That would be that would be definitely something I would say. But the reason I didn't go to the show was because I was just caught up in so much other bullshit at that mm. time, and it was like a very low point in my life that I very vividly remember. 
So I would definitely tell myself to slow down, to chill out, to take a breath, step back, and not get involved with the shit that I did get involved with at that time. Man, when you can just bullshit off your table. Yes. That would be great. But in retrospect, man, if I wouldn't have gone through those dark times, then I wouldn't have... I wouldn't be who I am today. Yeah. So as much as that, those times sucked and we went through it and it was just like fucking rock bottom, bro. Like it needed to happen yeah. in order for me to be grateful for where I am now and take those proper steps to be like, I'm never fucking going back there ever nice. again. And if I didn't, I feel like I would then eventually later in life go through it. And if I would have gone through that now when I have my daughter, I would be a wreck. That wouldn't be possible. Probably you wouldn't know? be as good a dad. Exactly. So I'm very thankful for those dark times coming when they did. And I'm very fortunate that I was able to get out of them and now be the person I am today for her, Dude. for my wife, for myself and my family. That's irreplaceable. Amazing. Yeah. Um, are, you, are you aware that uh, of the show Fear Factor? Do you oh, know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I remember. What is the worst imaginable Fear Factor scenario for Dink? Oh, man. Oh, I haven't seen that show in a minute, but it's funny you mentioned that because the other day I was talking to to one of my homies about it. But I remember growing up in middle school, I had a Fear Factor party, a you Fear did? Factor birthday party. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. It was so bizarre, but like my older brothers threw it for me and I was like, let's do Fear Factor because it was back when it was like new and like everybody was into it. So my friends came over um, and at that time I was in Catholic school and right in Strawberry Hill. So all my friends came over. And they didn't know what they were getting into. But my brother set up all this craziness. So we literally had to like, um, we were boxing at some point. We had to eat bugs. We had to eat a live fish. We had to go across this like pool pond that we had that was green. And if you fell in, like you just came out looking disgusting. We did like a relay marathon race. We did a bunch of shit all day. And... It was the greatest time of my life. And it was the party that everybody talked about for the rest of the year. Nice. And I always remembered just like my friend just ate a huge like summer grasshopper that was like this big. And he like won the game because nobody else was doing that shit. I was like, fuck that, dude. He just grabbed it from the fucking garden. Just Yo. Like, it's crunched it. And he was oh. like, you won. You won. <laughs> you won right there. My brother just gave him like five bucks and like that was it. But it was just the most like thrilling time like growing up and adolescent just like doing all this crazy shit, man. But I would say the absolute one thing that I probably wouldn't go through with, oh, that's, that's really difficult. I guess it just depends on the amount of money, but. What, right. Yeah, but I don't know, man. I'm very particular with like smells and like texture in my mouth like that shit combined if it's something super disgusting i most likely a bunch of a line of people lined up to vomit in your mouth a hundred percent a hundred percent no i'm so good on that like even just the idea of it right even just somebody throwing up near me i would just not want to be near them at all yeah well yeah all right complete this for me please uh the world would immediately become a better place in which to live if only if only we stopped fearing death and started appreciating life more. Amen. Yeah. Wow. Dude, this has been really fun. Uh, I feel uh, like you're I'm not trying to be weird. Yeah. I just feel like you're a, a special brand of human being, and I'm <laughs> glad we crossed paths and you cool. came into this. Um, so Dink Studios, D-I-N-K-C mm-hmm. Studios.com. Yep. Uh, Dink, uh, mm-hmm. D-I-N-K-C mm-hmm. on Instagram. Yep. Uh, both are the, those are the primary yeah, are spots both. for folks to have exactly. a f- finger on the pulse, see what's mm-hmm. going on. Yep. 
the shop is over on Strawberry Hill, 600 Ohio mm-hmm. Avenue, KCK. Yep. Uh, appreciate you, man. Yeah, thank you, man. I All appreciate right. it. It's been a blast. Talk to you soon. Yeah, no doubt. Bye.